Welcome to Savvy Saps Podcast on Call-In. This is episode 113. Hunter Biden pleads guilty. Hunter Biden has pled guilty to misdemeanor charges. Has justice been served? Let's discuss. And I want to make sure I got my volume set here. I think it's... Okay, there we go. Yeah, just double checking that. All right, Eric, I'm going to go ahead and make you a speaker. And then I'll go ahead and take my first caller, which is Jared. What's going on, Jared? You just have to unmute. And we should be good to go. Hello? Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, I'm very happy. I'm very happy to see you on um on Brianna's show sometimes too. That's really cool. Oh, thank you. Oh, you watch Rising? Uh yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. So, what what's your take on all of this, Jared? Um, do you feel that this is justice? What Hunter Biden is being, you know, charged with here, and that I know he's pled guilty, but I do feel like this isn't even the this isn't even the meat of Hunter Biden's issues. And I'm looking more so at those business dealings in Ukraine. What's your take on all of that? Um, I think that um, I think the media is definitely not going to go after him on the Ukraine issue, because I think it will start to poke holes um, in their effort over there with NATO and everything. Um, but it's definitely not justice. And I feel like this is going to be if Joe Biden, um, if he ends up being a presidential um, candidate for the Democratic Party. I was going to backfire on him really bad um, with every type of voter. It's not even just going to be I, th- I think his like middle class, like rich, rich section will stick by his side because they'll just do whatever. But with all the working class constituents, I think that they're I think that there's going to be a major turning point in the Democratic Party where a lot of people are going to leave. You think a lot of people may leave because of this particular issue? Or you think something else? I think this is one of them. Um, I think it's several issues, just how they've not helped the working class for a long period of time um, and how they've uh, I, th- I think the student loan issue is going to be a big one, too. Um, and I know tonight you were talking about a lot of people not wanting to go to college. So I think it's going to be a combination of issues, especially with like younger people who are going to replace the Democratic base, um, you know, as a lot of people, you know, transition and things like that. Yeah, I think it's going to backfire on them really bad. That's really interesting. I think that um, I think the Democratic Party is going to be in for a big surprise come 2024 because, you know, this this issue, I feel like there's a lot of hypocrisy and I'm sitting back here and I'm thinking about all the family members that were affected by Joe Biden's like crime bills, how they didn't receive this type of, (laughs) you know, this type of slap on the wrist, how there were people who went to prison for over 20 years uh, for marijuana. I remember there was another gentleman. I think I'm not sure if uh, he's still on Twitter, but um, uh, he came on to RBN in the very, very early days. And he came on to tell one that was directly affected by Joe Biden's crime bills. Like he went to prison because of it. And I, I think people some people may not understand how that bill like ruined people's lives like even when they got out of prison like it wasn't easy for them to restart their life again 
and to see like his son be able to get a pass just because it's his son especially after that bill took effect you know it's it's hypocrisy and it's not fair to all the people who who did have you know drug charges who were not given that that type of leniency i would say it's very telling you know what? I love Cornell West, and he needs to take this as an opportunity to um to to counter the Democratic Party. I think that would be a great help for him. Um, I think he's those are going to be the people really. That's a bit like I feel like for like forty forty five. There, Oh, I think I'm, I missed you a little bit there. I think you were breaking up a little bit. I heard you say Cornell West, and then I lost you after that. Um, I was saying that I think that um, this is this should be like a major point. I wouldn't even say like yeah to focus a little because there's going to be a lot of young people. I think like 45 and under who are going to be very upset by this, very, very upset by this. You know, and, and like you said, all the people who um, have family members who are affected um, by drug abuse and, and by gun laws, because he's getting away with a gun charge, which is unheard of for a working class person to, to be able to do. Um, so I think yep. this is a major point that I think Cornell West should focus on. Yeah, I remember, I don't know if everyone remembers this, but like a couple years ago, I remember rapper T.I. actually went to went to jail because of a gun charge. And and T.I. was rich, but they, they still, you know, sent him to jail. Uh, I was thinking about the situation with Wesley Snipes when Wesley Snipes went to prison because he wasn't paying his taxes. You know, and so to see that Hunter Biden can just get some type of a plea deal, it's, it really is a slap in the face to other people that this has happened to. And it just shows, again, that our justice system is obviously it's it's not equal uh but for joe biden to be the president of the united states and this is happening with his son it's just like you know you were a part of the mass incarceration of black men and for you to just kind of sit here and i don't even think joe biden's still giving a response yet i've been checking for that all day and to not say anything how your son is just being given a pass it's it's embarrassing at this point, it really is. I don't know how much longer Democrat politicians can run cover for Joe Biden. I really don't. I just want to say last thing, and then I'm, I'm gonna give someone an opportunity. Um, yeah, I think this is definitely it's definitely gonna backfire on him. Um, I think Cornell West should definitely reach out to the um, um to the African support. Pretty sure there's a lot of people, but who will support? And yes, um, even. Um, this issue, and I also think the North, the Norfolk Southern issue is going to be very, this is going to be a very uh, big issue because I'm not sure if he's visited Ohio yet um, in order to control those people. Um, I'll, I'll hang up, and, um, but thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, to answer that question, Joe Biden still hasn't visited East Palestine, Ohio, which is uh, is also embarrassing, in, in my opinion, to be honest. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and bring in a kid. 
What's going on, a kid? You just gotta unmute. Hey, how you doing, Savvy? How's everybody doing over there? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing okay. I I could not uh, join the chat line today, but I was listening in while I was coming on the way here, uh, and so really interesting. I, I I think that the hypocrisy just is so. I'm not sure what show I'd heard today. I don't know if it was when you were talking to. Uh, Maybe it was when you were talking to to Jimmy, but it's just the 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 amount of propaganda that we get on basically the mainstream is so steeped into people's minds that even a level, you know, people that you would consider to be at least me, I would consider to be reasonable people, they can't see past what's going on. The, uh, I, I'm not saying everybody, but a lot, mm-hmm. and that and that creates the buffer that gives Biden the ability to even be in place because if, if the propaganda wasn't so steeped into every day, it's almost like a song. You know, if, have you ever heard a song in the radio that you hear the first time and you don't like it and then they keep playing it and they keep playing it. And pretty soon you start bobbing your head to the song that originally you knew wasn't even good, but, but it has an effect, you know, marketing has an effect when a message keeps getting bombarded into people's heads eventually becomes what you believe. And and that's what you're having right now with, uh, with Hunter. Clearly the guy has done a whole bunch of things that a normal person would have went to jail years ago, savvy. And, you know, and I have friends of mine who've done time for decades. You know, I had one of my best friends went in for, uh, for a long time and he finally got out, I think almost like seven or eight years ago. And, and I know for a fact, and he's, you know, he happens to be, you know, a person of color. Uh, I know for a fact that had he not been a, a person of color to, uh, if, he, if his family even just had a little bit of means and resources, he would have never did the time that he did. Okay. I, I, I know it because I've seen it. And in those days, you know, and we li- I live here in California. In those days, in the place where, where this happened to him, uh, they were very heavy handed. They would throw the book at you at, for anything that you did in the county that this happened to them. And so uh, and things have changed. Obviously, it's not quite the same anymore. But the, in those days, you know, and I can look back in those years, it's probably like I said, almost uh, more than 25 years ago now. Uh, the system was even more racist than it is today. It, it Things were even worse. We just don't you know, people, the younger people can't see that. <laughs> But it was like that. And Biden was a part of that system. Decades of him, in addition to just the crime bill, but even all his peers, all the people that were around in those years made it worse for people of color. And Biden has his signature. His signature is on the crime bill that put, you know, literally probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people of color behind bars that otherwise they would have not been treated that way. I mean, here his, and now here his son getting preferential treatment, and here's the, the reporter that you had, or the, the, which you were showing, or, or you were having us listen to, the way they were framing things, like, it's not a big deal. Uh, uh, he hasn't paid his taxes. Bullshit! Are you kidding yep. me? He hasn't paid his taxes. That's not a big deal. Yep. So they, were, they were diminishing all his wrongs, and they're doing that so they can put Biden in place. In, in a position that he could win. And now we all see it. 
part of the problem is, you know, the other thing is there's still a lot of people that hate Trump. And it's again, it goes back to the propaganda. I don't like Trump, but I know that he's getting, uh, you know, what they're doing to him is unjust. They're doing this to him right now because they don't want him to run. Right. I, I'm not going to vote for him. I didn't vote for him the last time. But still, th there is something that is happening. I believe that there is a lot of people that have gotten sick that they're going after him. And I think that's going to backfire against, you know, whether it's Biden or whoever it is that they have, the Democrats have their uh, savvy. Because I know that I can I can feel like, hey, this is this is wrong. Even though I don't like the guy, I know that they're doing him wrong. And and usually Americans, we don't like that kind of shit. We don't like it when the when some, somebody's doing somebody wrong and we could see it. It just it goes against our culture, I believe. No, I, I, I totally hear you on that. I feel the same way. I feel like it's so. So my whole thing is, is I really do feel like if Donald Trump was not running for office again, I don't even think that they would have pursued this, these, these charges against him as quickly as they did. They may have not, not done it at all, to be honest. Right. They wouldn't have done it, but we could all see that this is the reason why they're doing it. And I, I, I don't know if it's if it's been on your show and the other shows that I've been listening in, uh, but essentially the, the the donors don't like Trump, and that's why they're letting this happen. I mean, right. the, the the list of the, the dirty guys who have done much much worse, and and this is something where I you know it's kind of hard for people that hate Trump not to admit to this. But okay, so where do you start? You can start with Bush and Cheney. They they killed literally half a million to a million Iraqis, at least a half a million, easily. And, and those are women and kids, you know? That's something that we don't think about because we never see the pictures. Those are little kids, little toddlers that died in that war for no reason. Think, think about that. How would it be, you know, we get all the pictures and, and, and whatnot from Ukraine, but we never see anything of what really happened in, in Iraq to those little, you know, the little kids and the women handicapped people that passed away, all kinds of, you know, really inhumane things that happened to those people for no reason. And those guys are still walking around. The mainstream media never calls them out. Yep. And they just go about their business. Okay. Okay. So we, we can start with them. You can go back to Obama. You know, he took, he did also, he did a, a whole bunch of harm too. Yep. And Clinton. You can go back to Clinton. So you can't start with Trump. It's unjust. The guy was only there for four years. And you know what I mean? He was only there for four years. He did not have a history of decades of policies. He never had that. You know, I mean, so it's just, it, it's, it's, not, it's not fair. And I know for a fact, and, and this is another thing, because I've also talked to people of color all around, around me. They're fed up with Biden. I actually saw a sticker yeah, a couple of days ago, uh, Savvy, and I wanted to tell you about, I was driving right about to get onto the freeway and this guy who had a company, I think he was like a, I don't know if he was a plumber or what, but he has his own company because he had this big truck and he had the F Biden big stickers in the back of his truck. And now I'm seeing those, those stickers a lot, like F Biden all over the place. And I've never seen that, you know? But I'm now. And and where remind me a kid where are you located? California. 
Ooh, blue yeah. stick. So, yeah, and, and, and I mean, the sticker was pretty loud. It just said F Biden. And he had a couple of them. And mind you, I was like, man, this guy's really bold. It was his own company, right? The guy was bold enough to say, hey, I don't, I don't care. I'm putting this on my own truck for everybody to see it. And that was like a few days ago. And then later, I think today, earlier today, I saw another one. So that's multiplying. I mean, people are really, you know, fed up. And then you showed uh, the polls with uh, Cornell. You know, what is he up to now? Was it six or eight? I can't, I can't it's, remember what it's it was. All, it's already 6% first poll. So, Third and it, That's right. And to the previous caller, he's right. Cornell needs to also use and leverage. I'm not saying he has to be dirty, but he has to point out all the hypocrisy of Biden. He has to He has to do that. Yes. Savvy. He cannot play nice and, and just like, oh, I'm going to. No, fuck F that. That's not, you can't win like that. You can't go fighting for people's rights, for the people that actually love Cornell. He has to go and fight. And that means he's going to have to call out Biden, even in this, for this instance, what he's doing. And he could do it in a way that he doesn't have to say anything foul, but he can right. illustrate, hey, look, look, look how many thousands of black kids, uh, you know, Hispanic kids, whatever, who ended up in jail for less. And Biden's getting a pass. That's not fair. And, and, and to paint that pic picture in people's minds, their grandmothers, their mothers, you have a son, you have a brother, they went off to jail. When somebody goes to jail, uh, Sabi, they change, especially if they stay there for a long time. And a lot of them get traumatized. They ne they're never the same. You know what I mean? Even even people that maybe they, they were doing something that was wrong, but that's not really what they you know, people that they do deserve a second chance, but there's people that end up in the system and the system really messes them up. And, and Biden did that to a lot of people. You know what I mean? No, you're you're 100 percent correct about that. Um, the gentleman who came on the RBN earlier on to talk about that, his name was Michael, Michael Trenavasa. Okay. And. Uh, he talked about his experience under Biden's crime bill. Like he told his whole story, his whole life story about like what happened and how it basically ruined his life. That's and, right. uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, Hunter Biden. And, and this is what I want people to understand, especially for the people who stand for, for Biden or the democratic party, Hunter Biden's life. Every time he got into trouble, Joe yeah, Biden, because, because of his dad's name and who he was, somebody was there to pull him out of it every time. That's right. And, 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 you know, so for me, you know, I grew up in a one household parent, my mother, and with three other brothers. Uh, and it's very tough when, when you're in a one household parent, especially just a mother. It's so tough. For, the mother has to work so hard to just keep the lights on, to pay for the rent. And, and, you know, I can look back now and I can see that. And there, it's, it's so tiring to be a parent. And if you have boys, at some point, they become bigger than the mother. You know what I mean? Physically and, ever, and, and otherwise. And it's very challenging. And if you're in a, an environment, you're going to get in trouble. And that happens to a lot of people. Many, many of my peers growing up ended up getting into troubles because of that. And the system usually doesn't help you. It, it actually can hurt you a lot. 
because you can go into the system for something that was small, but then once you get into the system, you have to then navigate through that system. And if you're not, if you don't make good choices, or if maybe you're threatened or scared, you're going to make bad choices. Uh, and the system then basically almost eats you up and spits you back out, and then you become worse than you, than you were. Or maybe you do try to do good, but then now you have a stamp on you, you know, a felony or something along those lines. And then it's very difficult to get a job. Once you have those felonies on your, on your, on your record, you have to wait. You have to have the means to get them expunged, to remove them. It, the life for the for the for uh for people that go through that becomes very very difficult. So then you actually become part of the system, and then if you have a kid, you know it just kind of it repeats itself. Yeah. And that's and I've seen that. You know, I've seen that with other people. You know, luckily I didn't. You know, I got I was fortunate. I didn't go that route, and I made some good choices. But here's the thing: I realized. I remember when I was in college. I read an article, this is back like in the, you know, the 90s or whatever, such a small percentage of people from like my background, right, that actually make it and go on to college and then become, you know, actually become productive, I guess you could say. The percentage is tiny. It's like less, and back in those days, from what I remember, it was like less than 1%. So the system is really messed up. And then you have all the other things that we're fighting against. You know, we don't have health care. You don't have, uh, you know, free schools, uh, college. It's all these things that really keep you behind. And then you end up perpetuating, you know, where you are. The cycle just repeats. Whereas somebody like Biden, his son, he has so many advantages, right? Even, even though he's done so, so many bad things, he still doesn't go into the system. He gets a job getting paid $80,000 as a consultant that, as you know, as a college graduate savvy, there's no one that's going to pay you that much money unless, one, you've got a ton of experience and you have the, the gravity and the leverage that you can actually consult for that value that you can bring to the table. Anyone who's gotten a job like that knows that you can't get a job like that unless you really have experience and Biden did not have that experience when he was getting paid that money by that company okay so any reasonable person would say hey this is a red flag this guy's doing something illegal and uh, clearly he's connected to the president and that's why he was getting the money there you go there you go there's there's just so much more than more to it than this and I think it's only a matter of time before everything comes out, you know, Um, I just don't know how long they can continue to defend to defend his actions or Joe Biden's actions at this point. That's right. And, you know, I wanted to make a comment because somebody wrote me. They DM me because I think the last time I was on your show, I was trying to tell people to be very positive because one of the callers said, hey, uh, they were downing themselves. And I kind of made a comment. But my comments were not directed as to the previous caller. I was just saying, hey, you know, no matter what, don't give up. You know, like no matter what happens. And even, you know, this is one of the reasons that I've always loved Cornell West, because he has that positive message of don't give up. You know, no matter what it is, if you ever hear Cornell talk, even amid all the crises that, that we go through, you can hear Cornell's message. We're not going to give up. I'm here to speak truth to power, even in the middle of all the BS no matter how dark the day may be, I'm going to speak the truth to power. And I want to, you know, tomorrow the sun's going to rise again. 
so that was what I was trying to say just because that, that, that caller DM me and they thought that I was saying this towards, towards them and I'm not. You know, my positivity comes from like just knowing that we can make it through, you know. And the fact that you're here, Savvy, the fact that RBN is here. You guys were not here three years ago. I didn't hear you three years ago. But here you are, lo and behold, positivity. You know, your message is positive. But you were not here before. And here you are now, you know, pushing your message towards all your listeners. So, And, and we didn't know you were coming, but here you are. And we stay positive. And you're part of that. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing, Savvy. Oh, thank you so much. It's interesting. I didn't know I was coming either, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, my friends got tired of me venting on Facebook and they said this. I don't think this is the platform for this. You might want to try YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, but thank you. Thank you so much, kid. All right. I'm going to let someone else talk. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Greg and then I'm going to go to Nicole up there. What is up, Greg? Or should I say Gerg? You have to uh, unmute. Oh, Big Mad Crab. Oh no, what happened to you? Did you try to unmute and it removed you? This happens sometimes with this app. Let me see if I, let me see if you came back. Okay, you came back, let's see. Make next caller. And you just have to hit the unmute button. I hate this app. Oh my god! How are you doing, Debbie? What's up? Yeah, no. <clears throat> Eric really uh, hit the nail on the head there. I really think it's with this Hunter Biden situation is way more in terms of propaganda than it is in uh, like misjustice. Because if you did the the Washington Post article, the the front page, like the first picture, is him hugging his, like the the Biden family hugging each other, and then the second paragraph they start talking about Trump's charges. It's like what the fuck does that have to do with Hunter Biden? It's insane. Like the like people like this people are drinking the Kool Aid at maximum levels, like at like levels I've never seen before. And it's concerning because it just gets worse like every Democratic president. Mm-mm-mm. There's a good, there's a good book. I feel like I feel like they're pulling no, out all the stops just to defend Joe Biden because they know Joe Biden's so bad right now. Well, how do you think that how do you think he won the twenty twenty election? So like there's a there's a book there's a book called Lucky by Jonathan Allen. It's called Lucky How Joe Biden Barely Won the Presidency. And that was written in twenty twenty. That's before all the Hunter Biden shit came out. That's before everything else. So I I don't I don't know what direction like how like how much acceptance is going to how much are we going to accept this until people just decide to turn away because I don't I, I don't I, I don't see that happening. Again, I'm seeing maximum Kool-Aid levels and it's concerning. I think it is concerning. I think a, a lot of people just feel like they have nothing other, they have nothing else to do. They have nowhere to turn, right? So I think some people feel like the only thing that they can do is just go out there and vote for team blue or red. And that's not the only thing that you can do. There are other things that you can do. I think a lot of people are not involved in organizing or they just don't know about it. 
there the number of people I talk to that don't even realize like that there's organizations like in their communities that have been helping people for not just years but decades. A lot of people, lot just, of people don't just don't know what's going on. A lot of people yep. are just completely shut out, like just full on cable news watching. It's it's kind of incredible. I mean, I, you know, I will encounter like intellectuals and in, like my day to day, and like you know, people who like gender. Like, for the most part, from what I see, I think people like understand that on on both sides that there's devious corruption going on, and that we live in like this hopeless broken system. Um, but like the, I, it's more. I feel like maybe perhaps it's, it's a generational thing. I think like kind of like boomers have a hold on like the democratic vote who knows really mm-hmm. but the, mm-hmm. the, it, is, it is that part of that psyop of that like oh we can't vote third party because republican and you know you know what like i i really don't i don't care at this point it's it's the same like it, it honestly and i agree with pasta where in, in his uh cornell interview where like if you really put a gun to my head i think I, I, Trump is really not that worse of an option compared to Biden. Yeah, well, I think the thing is, is like, I mean, I can't speak for pasta, but for me personally, I just can't vote for corporate. You know, so that's just me. Is like, no, Trump no, is saying yeah, all no, these things. I, I, I would never. I, I, I haven't voted for Trump. I've never voted for Republican. I've voted Jill Stein, but like. Look, I'm just I'm just going to go ahead and tell you guys too. I just want to give everybody a warning. A lot of people are going to be mad next year. A lot of people are going to be mad 2024 because of the fact that someone with a big name is choosing to run third party because they already see the disruption, right? It's already happening. So this is going to be Yeah, and it's it's already happening, but it's going to get worse next year. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be, you know, trying to convince you guys don't do this. It's just to vote for Trump, just like they did with Jill Stein. But I think it's going to be to a whole new level this time around because it's someone who's so well known. Jill Stein's popularity increased after she ran. So I think that just just prepare yourself, guys, because I'm telling you, people are going to be coming out of the woodwork. You're going to hear all kinds of shit. People are going to try to do whatever they can oh, yeah. to smear Dr. West. Um, and of course, RK Jr. too, although they may go a little bit easier on him just because of the fact that he is running in one of the two parties. But and I, I'm especially telling you right now, if they give that nomination to Joe Biden, which I'm pretty sure they're going to do, then, you know, that's cards all off the table for RFK Jr. They're going to heavily come after Cornell West and they're going to come after people who are supporting him too. So just prepare yourself for that guys. Full levels of propaganda. A hundred percent. Like that's the that's the Biden campaign strategy, savvy. Like he's got the entire mainstream media apparatus lined up behind him. Everyone, everyone's a never Trumper. So you're you're not like getting any sort of like pure analysis or like actual. It's it's all just semantics. Well, I think what was interesting tonight was like because I think. I think some people felt that Jimmy was going to go for RFK, but Jimmy said tonight on my show, like, you know, he supports Cornell West's run. I'm not surprised by that. I think he's going to try to do everything that he can to help him. 
No, the the honestly the RFK the Israel thing's a that's a red line. I I think it should be a red line. I I I there's a lot of people who are like, um, I guess sort of blinders to it, but um the the Palestine situation is very serious and that kind of like affects everything. Like you like it, you have to like understand how Israel how it has America like literally by the balls. We do everything for them. We'll give them any weapons they like. You have to like look up like Whitney Webb's like Primus software. And like how they all like have they they have all of our national intelligence and they ba- they basically like completely control us. So like the whole Israel thing that's like a red line. You can't you 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 have to cut sanction Israel. You you can't BDS. You 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 have to do it now. You can't mm-hmm. you 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 can't you can't have a Zionist and like have that be your like backing candidate. That's like not that's not gonna work. Sorry, because like that it it's it's like I said like foreign policy affects literally everything else where are you going to get um like the like the money from the fed to for like student debt to cancel cancellation or healthcare if you're giving an extra six two billion dollars to another country and they're giving them pensions half the country doesn't even have a fucking pension over here nope <laughs> nope it's clown it's literal clown world and we're just I, are, are people scared? I don't like. Are are we like not ready? Like I maybe maybe people are just like not ready to confront that yet. Like, cause cause it is like um, it is a little bit like nepotistic. Like it's a little bit of nepotism, but like, I mean, like well, to think- see like the, the degree to which how broken the system is. Continues, well, Abby. I'll be honest with you, and you can tell me if you have this issue too. So, for those who don't know, like Greg, um, Big Mad Crab is part of Indie News Network. So, I have a very difficult time talking to my friends who are not like in the space about what the hell is really going on, like in American politics. Because when I, well, try I have to, to watch have, my language, yeah, when I have these conversations with them, I feel like they are just so shocked and distraught that they don't. They don't know what to do. Like they, they are really like taken aback by it. Like they're not mad, but they're just really shocked and they feel like they've wasted all their time all these years. And it's just really difficult for me to have a discussion or they're just, they're not paying attention to what's in the news. Like I can guarantee you right now, most of them have no idea about this issue with Hunter Biden. And so I would be the one to bring it up. Now, my, my parents, different story. My dad watches the news every day. He's always been that way. So he knows about the stuff that's going on. So I can have this conversation with my dad. I can talk to my dad about Israel and Palestine. He knows what's up. But most of my friends, when I have these conversations with them, they're just like, they, they, they told me they feel stupid at the end of the conversation because they don't know what's going on. And I don't, my intent is not for people to feel, to feel stupid at all is to let them know like, yo, this is what's really happening. This is what the media telling you. And this is what's really happening. But when I explained to them, like, how the money works in politics and all that stuff, they felt completely distraught afterwards. You know what it is, too? Like, people don't – I feel like some, people don't – genuinely don't want to confront it. When I, I can't even talk to my parents about politics half the time because they're, like – like, not not my parents specifically because, like, I can, like, agree with them. But, like, my aunt, for instance, is, like, a full-on, like, like always Trumper. Um, and, like – I'll have like conversations with her like occasionally like a, like a Thanksgiving or something like that. And it's 
it's it's incredible to see how broken their brains are. Trying like I had a train of thought. Let me get back to it. Well, I was going to say that, like, and my friends are, like, awesome. Like, they're great people. And it's just, it's, it's really hard because, like, they're like, well, you voted for Obama. I was like, yeah, we all voted for Obama. Yeah, like, it leads to arguments. It's like, that's what I was, like, trying to get to. It's like, people don't want to confront it. It's always like, oh, no politics at Thanksgiving or, like, no politics at, like, you know, dinner or whatever. But, like, when, like so when are we going to have these conversations? Because... I feel like it's it's important and integral to our every day. I mean, politics is literally how we organize ourselves as a civilization. Uh, isn't that important to talk about? And now it's so divisive that it's become like venomous and like now people attack each other and they're so hostile. And like it's not even a matter of your ideology. It's on both sides. Like people become so enwrapped in their political identity that it like, once you say something that conflicts with that, everything for them is shattered. And their, their, their visceral response is to attack you because when you, when you confront their political beliefs, you're attacking, you're essentially attacking their identity in their heads, at least. Yeah. People are not willing to have like a faithful, like good, like a conversation, like one to one, without you know yelling and. Yeah, and I mean, like, the other thing too is not like we always knew. I didn't always know, you know. Like, I voted for Obama. I was a member of College Democrats when I was in in college. I was on the debate team. I used to, we used to talk about policy and shit all the time, like during debate tournaments. And through all those years of being on the debate team, being a part of College Democrats, I still didn't really understand how money worked in politics. And I think that was the part that was so frustrating to me. And as time went on and I started to learn more and more. And so I appreciate someone like Bernie Sanders for bringing those issues to the table. What I don't appreciate is you dropping those issues off on the table and then piecing the fuck out before we sat down and had a meal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, no. So yeah, it's 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 tough. It's just it's but you know, I it's upsetting when I see the smear articles and the lies and I I I don't agree with RFK Jr. on, you know, some of his issues, but it's also still upsetting to me when I see, you know, news networks write articles about him calling him anti vaxxer, even though he's clarified multiple times in interviews that he's not anti vax. It's just, you know, the media is just so corrupt. It's most, it's like, it's almost like a, an American culture kind of thing. We're just so ready to attack each other. And it's part of, it's like part of the political agenda to, to do that. But. And I think we have a sort of binary way of thinking. Like, I don't feel like, you know, when, when Max Blumenthal said, he named his his outlet the gray zone because he said not everything is always black and white, right? Like sometimes there's shades of gray. And I feel like when he says that, like that makes sense. Like to me, that makes sense. But the, 
the the thing is a lot of times like particularly in this country i feel like a lot of people just feel like it's it's good or bad it's right or wrong it's you know red or blue it's i feel like when you're asking people to think outside the box and think about what else could be a factor i feel like sometimes people struggle with that because well, we were taught that way we were essentially all of american history is basically indoctrination it's a, where it's an empire built on lies everything is a lie even money like i didn't understand money either until um i read stephanie keaton's book on mmt and i learned how fiat money is basically just all fake it's all fake it's built on nothing and then they and then they steal they have to steal resources in order to keep them they have to build a giant military in order to scare people off from trying to take their resources back it's crazy yeah they do it's crazy <laughs> it is crazy i want to bring in uh, noel what's your take on yeah, all I'm, of this i'm going to go to i'm going to go to I'm I'm going to bed. Night, Sabby. All right. Good night. Good evening, Sabrina. Good evening, um, people in the chat. Um, You know, the level of hypocrisy that attends this whole Biden pled guilty thing is, you know, from heaven to hell. It's just so clear. And, you know, what I hope and is that people are beginning to put all of the puzzle pieces in place so that they can properly diagnose what is going on in this country. You know, you can't see the Biden situation clearly if you are always looking through a two-tier prism of Republican and Democrat. And, you know, they talk about a two-tiered system of justice, but really it's a three and four-tiered because you have justice for the elite, then you have justice for the privileged, then you have justice for the underprivileged, and it all looks different. And so when we get caught up in the construct of the elite attempting to um, jockey for position between themselves by saying who gets what does justice look like, this, that, and a third? We know at the end of the day, there is no real energy between the two parties to dole out any substantive justice to each other anyway. It's just a matter of control. So this is just a swamp fight. Um, I think, you know, to the last caller's point and to your point, we have totally been miseducated and undereducated. And if you don't dial into politics, which is the lifeline of what's going on in this nation, you'll never get it. If you're not willing to see both sides as equally culpable for the reality that we live in, you'll never get it. And I think what happens is people are looking for the quick and easy way out. They're looking for, oh, you know, I vote Democrat all the time, this and that, because it's a routinized thing and it's one less thing to give energy to or to attend to, you know, amongst the multiplicity of things that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So they like that shortcut. The problem is the media is not independent. We can't depend on it. It is the manufacturing of consent. We live in an inverted totalitarianism where, as you you know, framed in the show, 
you know, you have BlackRock owning so much of so many pieces of what makes the economy flow to they literally can buy and sell politicians, push policy, this, that, and a third, control the enforcement agencies. And there is just no way of getting around it. And it's getting worse. But it takes time to comprehend that. And it takes the openness of mind to be willing to see that and interrogate it to, for what it is. And I think people are just so resistant of coming to the conclusions that this situation is as in dire a straight as it is until people just give up hope and, you know, people, you know, slip into apathy and it's just a sad situation. But, you know, I tie all of this to the piece that you did about education. I am so concerned about that because what you see is a leaning towards a trades or skills-based education foregoing the more liberal arts um, intellectual style of education. And for me, it's not an either or, it's a both and, because what we see is the titans of industry, if you will, like BlackRock and others, programming the narrative. We have to demand as a part of whatever revolutionary change we're looking for, we have to demand a public collegiate level education because in the long term, the type and style of education that you get will shape the context of the fight and the labor force and the masses in the years to come. And I have no problem with the skills-based trade education that allows people to earn income because skills pay bills. But you need that deep philosophical education that causes you to question. You need that critical thinking skill set that comes from a collegiate education. And if you notice, in all of the talk about going to trade school and things of this nature. It is an economic-based thing. I don't want the student loan debt. I can get a job with this skill and make lots of money. But the other more fine-tuned side of education, we cannot afford to let that get lost in the shuffle. Because if you are able to think in sophisticated ways about what is going on around you, the fight is already lost. All of the movers and shakers that we're talking about at this point have the benefit of an advanced education. And I dare say if I had not, I was a naturally curious person as is, but the combination of me being who I am and being at the very bottom of the socioeconomic structure gave me the incentive to want to see these things for as they for what they are. But everybody is not going to go that direction. We need people who can think these things through because, you know, and we've already seen this, Savvy, they're going to import that intellectual white collar talent from India, from the continent of Africa and from China with those or B2 visas. And they're going to come and they're going to supplant all of the intellectual jobs. And then you will have recreated a lord and serf type of thing in this country and so whereas i appreciate 
the trade and skill-based education, I see it as a both and proposition. You need to go back and get that high-level education that challenges you. And even with the high-level education we have in terms of at least having master's degrees, you can still come up at a disadvantage because it takes a lot of work to learn through and the additional learning you need that you're not going to get through those formal curriculums. And so, you know, I see in the long term, we cannot forego the fight for a public higher education because as it is, it is only going to be the elite who become the doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, and quote unquote, the talented 10th who can get the scholarships and this and that. And that is just not going to bode well in a society where we're looking at um, automation and AI potentially replacing a lot of the blue collar jobs too, while we talk. Yeah, yeah, so you're right about that. It's, it's a full circle moment where they're, they're using the economy to shape the direction that we feel are the available options for how we move forward. And there is a, you know, a portion of education is to get the skill sets to sustain oneself. But there is that other aspect of education that creates an enlightened electorate. A lot of the things we're talking about now is because we have a severely unenlightened electorate. You know, people can't think through or see through Donald Trump's foolishness or Joe Biden's incompetence because they are not capable on some level of reasoning through those issues. And so they tune into programs like this where they hear people break it down and speak to it in another way. But again, that is another cog or another piece in the puzzle that ties into BlackRock and ties into the inverted totalitarianism. And it's just, you know, for me, it's almost crystal clear where we are headed. This is where we are headed is the only place that capitalism will allow you to go. So the problem is, is steep, but we have to stay focused and we have to be prepared to climb because if we don't begin the process of, you know, the educational process that is tied into the organizational process, it's just a really a done deal. And that's why I'm so happy that Dr. Cornell West is endeavoring to run, not that he would win the election. Winning the Oval Office is not the win for me. Winning in this circumstance is enlightening the masses to the tune that Bernie Sanders did, but not betray them like Bernie Sanders yeah. did. Stick with it and build it out. And you're, to your point, you're going to hear a lot of discourse in the next year about, oh, a vote for, you know, Cornell and this and that. That's a ways he going to steal votes from this because they're trying to force you back into that two tier binary conventional thinking. But we have to be wise enough to know that this is about movement building. This is about someone with a certain amount of integrity and moral centeredness to speak the truth as it is. And, and my prayer is that it resonates in even a greater fashion than it did with Bernie Sanders and that people can hold on and build it out. Because if you're thinking, 
The whole point of the 2024 election is to elect a president and nothing else comes of it, then we've already lost because Biden is no better than Trump. And Biden is no better than DeSantis. And DeSantis is no different than Trump. And all of these types of there are no choices between Democrats and Republicans that will yield anything towards the poor and working poor. And we have to get to the point where we see that. And until we do, we're going to continue down this rabbit hole until we find ourselves in collapse. And based on what you were presenting about BlackRock, we are knocking at the door, though unwittingly. Well, there you go. Natalie, what's your take on all this? And and welcome, Natalie. Well said, Noel. Hi, thank you. So, I mean, I agree with, I think, everything that you've said. I think, I think the part, you know, what really drew me into kind of paying more attention is more the medical side because I'm a therapist and obviously RFK Jr. speaks to that side and the pandemic has brought a lot of light to those issues. But I love, I mean, I, I love Cornell West. I went to the new school. I mean, he was a God at the new school. We all loved him. Um, but one of the things that I'm concerned about is that I feel like the the healthcare, we talk about like Medicare for all. And as if that, you know, obviously that's something I want. I want everyone to have access to healthcare, but I think. Uh Oh, Oh no, Natalie, did they get you access to medical care? But at the same time, I also see that medical, I mean, going to a doctor's office is also causing a lot of the problems all of these things. And I know that it's a heavy lift, but it's just, well, what are you? Oh, oh do tell Natalie. It's so, <laughs> it's what, so what corrupt. Mean? <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so bad. And I'm just, I'm, you know, knowing, you know, coming, you know, many of my friends are, are part of that elite group and I'm not just because of socioeconomic differences and, I just like, they are blinded by the whole like pharma Democrat, like they don't even see it. And I, I worry a little because Cornell West isn't talking about that side of corruption as much. And I know how much that is looked down upon in the world of academia to question the science. Mm -hmm. And I worry that he's not going there because maybe he's, I don't know, at the, they don't question it that way at the universities. I don't know what that has to do with if they're just so looped into the grant funding and that they just believe. But like, there's a great book, Turtles, I think it's Turtles All the Way Down, and it breaks it down. It's a disaster. Like, it's all based on, you know, like, there's, there's no, like, all of the whole, like, vax, the whole, and I, I'm not even saying that I believe that RFK knows what the reasons are, but all I, all you really need to know is that we, we don't have any gold standard studies at all. The, you know, like, I would love to, there's so not, you, know you know, what frustrates me about YouTube, Natalie, I would love to have like an in-depth, like panel conversation about this, about like vaccines, but I would only be able to do this on like Rumble and Rockfin and not on YouTube, which sucks. But I would love to hear from this because, like, 
I saw it like um, Brie has, has posted like a lot of tweets the, the past like day or two where she was reading, you know, uh, RFK Jr.'s book and like some of the things that he said and like the science and the research and stuff like that. And one of the things that she posted, and I think people need to hear this, is that even the scientists have admitted that autism rates have increased, right? Now, yeah. does that necessarily mean it's because of vaccines? Not necessarily. It could be because of the food or the chemicals that are sprayed onto the food. I don't know. It could be because of different things, but that is something that should be explored. Why is that happening? I think we need to be real about that, right? I, you know, so that's another thing. Like, I would love to have a panel conversation about this, but the thing is I would only be able to put it on like uh, the, the R's. I <laughs> Rumble know. And rock and I, know. I mean, I I think honestly, I think it's 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 so complex that it's hard. It's going to be really hard to know what, what exactly is the cause. Like my, my best estimate is that like our immune systems have just changed with environmental damage, food, and it's a combination of all these things, but they've changed, they've changed the bar. So it's like, you know, with epigenetics, it's like, with every generation it's going to get worse and i just feel like politics matters but like if our health is on a rapid decline <laughs> like even with education with like adhd all these things are rising at such a fast rate and they're only going to continue to rise and i just feel like i would love cornell west to take a little bit of stock in that area just because i feel like for one i think a lot of rfk support comes from that area of you know, the health people, the vaccine, like, and just like to identify, you know, you don't even have to say you're against it, but just corruption industry. And right. there's so much money, like 80% of it is coming from these chronic diseases that they're just interested in fixing the diseases to make more money and not looking at what started any of it. And it is going to be a combination of a lot of things. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's just, do you guys do you guys think like it's it's really um odd that there seems to be more of an effort to treat an illness or disease instead of curing it? Yeah, I mean uh -oh. so I'll just give you like a Oh, I think you broke up a little bit, Natalie. Maybe it's oh, just me. You know, chronic Lyme, this is just like a good example. Like I when I have a lot of patients with chronic Lyme and it's a really convoluted thing. So I read one of the books they gave me and what it what you came to understand was the reason there was like a denial that chronic Lyme's disease existed was because they didn't want to treat they didn't want to admit that it could exist until because then they would have eight vaccines so they denied it until they're made in in their vaccine research because like once you have a pro laws of like how medicine works so they denied it up until the point where they were able to make a profit and this kind of thing happens over and over again and i just I don't know. I would just love it if you guys took a look at that. Like Turtles All the Way Down is just a very interesting book because it's an anonymous writer and the entire book is cited. Like every single it's made it's 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 almost made like as a as if a lawyer would write the book. 
so that there's no, you know, interpretation, like, like facts, facts, facts. And there's, I don't know. It's just, if you take a look at it, you're just kind of blown away at like how the whole thing is built upon one lie after another lie after another lie. And no one's bothered to go down to the beginning to see. It's really, it just it's really, really opens your eyes up. And I just, I, I don't understand why Cornell West, like the Palestine thing. I totally understand. I have, I mean, this is one question I wanted to ask you guys, because I have a weird take on the Palestine thing with RFK, I think. And I don't think it's a, it doesn't justify it in any means. But I kind of think that it might have more to do with his personal life and Cheryl and his like, you know, you have to remember, like, he's a human being who has a wife who, when he said that Holocaust and Anne Frank comment, like, I mean, there was even talks of them separating to make her life easier. I and Wait, I think you say what now? Well, who is Cheryl? What's Cheryl got to do with this? What, what's what's happening? I really and, and and this was a thing. I like I remember thinking, oh, I probably don't know enough about politics because everyone was like, oh, you can't be president without you know this lobby. Like, there's no way. But but isn't the Israeli lobby just an extension of the military conflicts? Like, does he really end points? Natalie, that is a very good question. If he's against the war, like, and I like, I, I mean, I am a therapist, so I, I mean, I, this is totally like, obviously, this is just the way he reacted when he was asked about it. You, you, you even said it once. You said you could tell he was so uncomfortable, and my gut feeling about him was that it was personal and and I'm not saying a president should have that kind of like it's it's not really okay that you know your dinner parties with your wife uncomfortable or someone who you love you might risk losing that relationship because if you don't support the law you know the Israeli lobby you know you can't your personal life but I think that's what it was I think it caused so many problems for him and you know you know she tweeted like I I I can't, that was like the only thing she's, look at, look at how her New York Times piece was. Like, she doesn't want anything to do with it. Look how quickly she reacted to that comment. I think that like threw their world upside down when he said that and he was called an anti-Semite. And I think he has now tried to find a narrative to, so that he can, you know, not ruin his home life and still be running this campaign. And it's not right because it's, you know, it's not, you know this is my wife and I care about it. There's an apartheid going on. It's, it's, it's not a good reason, but it makes more sense to me than he's right. You know, he thinks pretty deeply about everything else and he's gotten this issue so wrong. If he, if he, if he felt the way he did about Israel, why would he even say the Holocaust thing or the Anne Frank thing? Like someone who had strong convictions in the way he is now framing his Palestine conversation would have never made those references. Is his wife Jewish? You know, I, 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 I don't know. Um, but, uh, we, I mean, it's speculative. I don't know. (laughs) I'm just looking at his face. But this is what I was talking about, Natalie. Um, he does seem wishy-washy, like sometimes. Yeah. Um, Like on a lot of things or you mean like with the Medicare for all and that kind of stuff? Just a couple of things like, you know, even when I when I brought it up to Jimmy tonight, the whole thing about like increasing taxes like on the rich, like 
I, I felt like he kind of talked around that a little bit. And I was just, when I watched that rising interview and I just wanted to, just wanted to say like, just say you don't support increasing taxes on the rich. Just say that dude. Yeah. I, I actually heard a comment. I remember he was asked point blank if he supported, if he supported like, you know, the billionaire. T- he said he had to get back to it. And I've never really heard him get back to exact you know i guess he has said he supports i don't know something like no he's being he's being he, yeah he has by, been, he, yeah natalie he's being backed by billionaires yeah david Sachs just is, did a yeah. fundraiser for him david yeah. Sachs did a fundraiser for him ron desantis and rokana so uh, dave is all over the place yeah. but the thing is is like and then there's all these silicon valley tech bro dudes that are supporting and backing RK Jr. So like, it's gonna be kind of hard to say like, yes, you want like higher taxes on the rich and yes, you want um, higher taxes specifically on the billionaires. And those are the people who are supporting you. Right, right. No, I I, I think that's exactly what. That's why Cornell West- I don't know, man. Their candidate, but I feel like I don't, I feel like he kind of, I'm a little nervous that it's more than just he has blinders on to the healthcare issue because I don't really know what that's about. Like, why does he attack RFK more than Biden when they actually, as far as like corporate America, like, you know, against the Uniparty, like that should be the number one uniting thing for the people. And I, that part, I don't know the people well, that hate RFK the most institutions. Well, no, I I disagree with that. I mean, when I interviewed Cornell West, I did ask him if he would be interested in collaborating with RFK Jr. on the issues they do agree with. And he said, like, so, by the way, they're friends. They know each other. I mean, I would think so. Very clear on my show when he was like, yeah. um, Now, I don't know if he was asked about RFK Jr. in in, in interviews, like that kind of thing. But when I asked him about RFK Jr., I asked him about would he be interested in collaborating because the poll that I did on my show showed that the majority of people wanted to vote for Cornell West and RFK Jr. were second. So that's why I asked him that question. But the thing is, is like on my show, he attacked Joe Biden. So I I don't know like what was said on other people's shows, but... I know um, on my show, he specifically attacked Joe Biden and, and, and other people. But I think it has to do with the questions that you asked. Like, for example, yeah, I, asked probably Palestine, yeah. I asked him about, like, how does he yeah. feel about Bernie Sanders and the squad endorsing Joe Biden right out the gate instead of the progressive candidates who are running on those issues? Right. And yeah. he said they were wrong. He, he's, he, I remember he said he said Joe Biden need to get off the crack pipe. Like, so I, it's just, so on, on my interview, like he was pretty, you know, he called Joe Biden out by name and he lists specific things that Joe Biden did wrong. Now, I don't know what he did in every other interview, but I did specifically ask those questions. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like them together, like the combination and not even like them merging, but like the combination of like RFKs, like the regenerative farming and kind of some of like his ideas of environmental policy and also just like understanding the corrupt healthcare system. And then on the more like political side, populist side, I actually feel like Cornell West does better. 
Um, but I just, I would like, you know, I could vote for Cornell West, but I would need him to really dive into how corrupt healthcare is. Cause I just feel like all of it's like health is like, you know, you go, it's, you know, the it's like, you don't have anything unless you have your health and like with the food, like the big food, like, I mean, in the fact that we have the same products of food as Europe, but they're downgraded here. Like there's certain companies that sell like a Nutella version to us with like way shittier versions of food that are bad for our health that in Europe crazy. Not that Nutella is ever going to be healthy, but you know, like it's just, it's just crazy how shitty our food system is. And like, I mean, even, even the way like I work, um, a lot of, I, I do like some postpartum stuff and like, you know, we're talking about like healthcare for black women, like in their, I mean, as far as like pregnancies and childbirth, like this, and you know, I do understand that there is a lens of like racial um, discrimination within the health. I really think personally, I believe that it has more to do from the, from the nurses I've seen that like, it's not like it has to do with, there's like healthcare and socioeconomic bad food. It, it, it sets up this immune system process and then things go wrong that they can't account for. Like when you have diabetes and obesity and they don't know what to do. So all of a sudden, like all these alarms come in and then, you know, that's how horrible results happen. And I just, I feel like it's not just that people are being racist at the, at the delivery. It's all the other things that they, that, you know, when your health is destroyed. Yeah, I, I totally hear you, Natalie. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that he could do. I think, you know, maybe that's something he may not be an expert in. Um, yeah things I did learn from Glenn Greenwald, like when I did that segment where I asked everybody like advice that they would give, one of the things I've learned from, uh, from Glenn Greenwald is like, you can't be an expert in everything. Yeah, no. And And it's a, it's a heavy lift, but he could find someone, you know, yeah, yeah, he could advocate if he's not, you know, the expert. Yeah, he could. Well, Chris Hedges said, um, in, uh, the interview he had with Bree today that Jill Stein's going to be the campaign manager. So Jill should be coming on. Jill's going to be coming on my so, uh, show soon. I've already touched base with her. So um, Jill Stein is a doctor, a medical doctor. Um, I think some people think that Jill Stein was like a professor, like a uh, PhD professor kind of. Do- no, she's a medical doctor. So maybe that's where she could come in. Yeah. Well, so, you know, um, and, and we'll see what happens, what happens from there. But I think that, um, you know, these are all things I think that, you know, definitely he should take into consideration. But I think that RFK Jr. does just happen to know a lot about that field yeah. uh, specifically because he's been studying like vaccines and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's there's going to be hits and misses, I think, with every uh, candidate. But I think what really, you know, candidates usually will focus on where they're strong, like right. Bernie Sanders, Medicare for all right? Yeah. Uh, billionaires are corrupt, right? Yeah. So that's usually what will happen. Like they'll focus on like where they're strong and stuff like that. But I, I totally hear you. And I, that's something I could definitely pass on. Okay. Well, thank you. I, show. <laughs> I, I, I would oh, be so you. nervous to call in anywhere else, but you really create such like a warm 
environment to all your listeners. So it really like kind of builds confidence for you like me in the scene. So thank you for providing that. It means a lot. And Thanks so much, Natalie. I just wanted to encourage Natalie to um, assess Dr. West on the things that he does speak about. Um, he is not so inept that he's going to say, oh, America has the best healthcare system in the world, this and that. So he may not have gotten to the healthcare piece, but I guarantee you, if he speaks to it, he is going to frame it. He is going to frame it right. And if he doesn't, it's because he really is skirting the issue or what have you. When I differentiate him between RFK, it's like you say, the situation in Palestine with Israel is almost, you know, crystal clear for anybody to land on the right side of that. So I am concerned that RFK Jr. is not framing that correctly for whatever the reason, be it personal reason, family reason, the bottom line, at the end of the day, you're running for president. And exactly. You have I, and I agree with that. A need it's not a good to deal reason. with that. Yeah. So yeah. If, if Cornell West is, if the issue is put to Cornell West, and he does not get it right, then that's the time to raise some red flags and this and that. But until the issue is put to him, I'm sure he's going to get it right because Chris Hedges is in his ear. He's got Jill Stein available and he is a bright man. He, When you hear him speak about the ills of capital, you know that he can factor that through and get to Big Pharma and everything else. So I am just... um. You know, because at this point, it's really about personal integrity and courage for yeah. whatever the reasons these people. And see, the other thing is RFK Jr. has chosen to run through the Democratic Party, which we know to be flawed. Yeah. So there is some comparison and critique to be drawn with him as well, because he's jumped into a race with the party that he knows is flawed, that he knows is, you know, purchased almost by the elites. And he also knows that one of the bread and butter issues for the working class is linked to an increase of taxes on those who are best situated to pay it. And if you can't bring yourself to have the personal, professional and political courage to say that, yeah. then that's a real flaw in your camp. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I totally agree. I I, I I have faith in Cornell. I just I just want I want to hear it. And I think he'll get, you know, when RFK, he's not going to win the Democratic Party. I think the people who were supporting him will support Cornell West. But I do think for some of the piece. So I, you know, dives deep in that area, too. Um, because well, thank you so much, Natalie. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll I'll, I'll move All right. on. I'm All right, let's you. bring in um, Ashura. Frank, I'm going to come back to you. Ashura was actually waiting, and I think Ashura uh, dropped off. Ashura, I'm uh, inviting you to be a speaker. You just got to accept. Okay, go ahead and unmute Ashura, and then I'll bring in uh, Frank as well. Uh, hello, Sabrina. Hello. Uh, so how was the, how was the vac small vacation? I, I heard you went camping. Yeah, about that. So, unfortunately, it rained, like, all day. So we saw that it was going to rain, like, most of the trip. 
So we had to actually get a hotel because of that, because it's no fun, like going on a camping trip and you can't even be outside. Like, that's just not fun because then it's like, like we were going to get like, obviously when we go camping, we get food. We like, we cook our own food, we grill like, and everything there and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, we wouldn't have been able to do, do any of that because I'm mean, I say it rained like Saturday, it rained all day, all night. And then Sunday it cleared, cleared up. Um, a little bit Friday, it was raining a little bit too. So we were like, that's not going to be fun. So we're gonna have to reschedule camping, but we did get a hotel and we hung out in Portland, uh, Maine, which I go to Maine every summer. Um, and, um, I got to hang out with, uh, Justin one of those days too. uh, Justin Beck, he's part of the green party. I've met him there before. Um, so I got to hang out with him for a little bit and, um, they got a chance to jam out cause like they both play instruments so like him and the hubs got to jam out and stuff like that to jazz why i just like took pictures and the scenery because i I played clarinet i didn't play saxophone i was yeah i I was gonna ask you do you play instruments yeah i played clarinet yes i was a band geek (laughs) everybody (laughs) uses the clarinet it's like the weakest one (laughs) hey don't mess with my claire Clarinet can get tricky too. But I'm glad you asked Jimmy that question, uh, the one about the reparations thing, because that question came up when he was on the, I think he was on uh, Kit Cabello's show or Do Dissidents, and he 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 started saying it good. He said he was pro reparations, even though you told me that he said he wasn't for pro. He wasn't pro reparation. So he answered, he said he was pro-reparation. And then in the same line, he called it divisive. I'm like, how is it divisive? You can't just say it both ways because he was praising it. And then he did say he did, he did say something where it resembled the Dave Chappelle show. You remember the Chappelle skit, the one where black people got reparations? And all of a sudden, <laughs> the economy went back up. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he joked like that, but then he didn't say that oh, it was a bit divisive issue. I'm like, come on, man. It can't be it, it can't be two 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 sideways. Pick a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's something I can talk to, to Jimmy about because um when you use the term actually like I mean I found out about it on someone else's show. Um God, I forget the guy's name. Um, black guy. I've played him on this show before. But it was on his show and Roger Meadows sent it to me and I was like, oh boy. I was like, okay, so got to talk to Jimmy about that one. Like, you know, um, it was a comment, I guess. Yeah, like Jimmy said, someone sent, a, I guess, a super chat and um, about reparations. And he said, how about we give give people health care and stuff like that? And, you know, some people took it the wrong way. Um, I didn't take it that way because I, I knew what he meant, but... Some people took it as though he was saying, like, no, we should not give people reparations. And so that's why I asked him that question. But I think that, again, I think he needs to have that conversation with uh, people like Dr. Sandy Darity, who who will be coming on my show, actually, uh, in July, um, to explain to people about the research. Because I think there's a lot of um, ignorance about reparations, because I think a lot of people assume that taxpayers pay for it. Taxpayers would not pay for it. That's not how it works. And a lot of people also seem to think that it's based on skin color and it's not. That's not how reparations works. It has to be based on lineage. And there's a reason for that. 
Um, and Marcel Dixon has been very good at explaining this. He was actually on Kim Iverson's show recently. He went through all of it. And I thought it was it was pretty like, you know, bold of Kim to bring him on to discuss that because, you know, it, Rumble is a totally different audience, guys. <laughs> a totally different audience for the most part. And um, they may not be as, as receptive to it, but I sure. thought that like... Um, I thought that Marcel did a really good job explaining like why it's needed and you know how it has to be done. And so you have to get those assumptions out the way. It's not based on skin color. It's not uh paid for by taxpayers. That's not how it would work. And people have to understand that. And if people don't understand that, then it's easy to just assume those things that I mentioned, you know? Yeah. Um I didn't think uh when he said that he was saying that People shouldn't get reparations. I, I bet if you basically break it down from, he probably would agree with it. So it's like when he said he wasn't for the defund the police in naming, right? But when when he when you ask him what's inside of it, he disagree. He agrees with it. It's just the 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 title. That's why Nick had to break it down for him so many times when Nick came on a show. Yeah. Well, I think. Um... I think, God, why why can't I remember this guy's name? I played him on my show multiple times before. Um, but I know he he's a part of a network too, but um, gee, I wish Roger was here because Roger would tell me the guy's name. But um, but anyway, that was where I saw it. And he he had that he had that impression because he doesn't know Jimmy Dore. He just immediately was like, Jimmy Dore's against reparations and da-da-da. And so that created a whole hoopla. And, you know, I'm glad Kit asked him about that, too. Yeah, because for, for me, I see it as, like, propaganda because I don't know how Jim, old Jimmy is, but if the if the mainstream media is against propaganda and you're watching mainstream media, they're going to brainwash you into not agreeing with reparations and say that, so you're just going to get money to black people and just not give the rest people money. That's why they call it, they'll be seen as divisive. Right. Nobody can hear that discussion, even though they say repar- they're trying to say reparations is just you paying for all the the shit you've done over four hundred years, the slavery, the treatment, trafficking, the rape, the 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 uh, the Jim Crow laws, redlining, all of it. And it's not, and, and and yeah, it's 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 so much that goes into that, and it's not just about slavery either. This goes all the way up into the crime bill, you guys. Yeah. Because it's not the American people that basically did the bills or basically did the slavery. It was the government who did that. So the government should be the one paying for it, not the people. I mean, that part I got. I mean, that's why I listened when Noel was explaining it very clearly. I, I got that part. Uh, the question I do have for the reparations thing, you said it's based on lineage. Let's say somebody is, well, half. Half of his lineage is African-American. Let's say the, the other half is Haitian. Would he be uh, qualified for reparations or do you have to be 100% African-American? I don't, it's not 100% based on what I saw from the research. From what I saw from the research, I think it said either the grandparent, either the, the grandmother, grandfather has to be African-American from the, from that lineage, from the yeah. um, American descendants of slavery, from what I saw. So, okay. So, oh, the grandparents, so it doesn't have to be the mom, the dad or anything like that? Well, if the grandparent is, then the then the mom or the dad would be somewhat. 
Go ahead, Noel. I, I saw you chiming in. To my understanding of the issue, those would be some. Those would be some. The details. The detail. have, uh, oh, Frank, can you mute for just a second, hon? Yeah. The, those would be would some be of the details. Oh, Frank, can you Frank, mute, can you mute for a minute? You have an echo. Thank you. Okay. Um, what I was saying is those are some of the fine-tuned details that would be worked out in the actual program in terms of people like you were suggesting, Ashura, who are you know, one quarter this, one half that, one third this. There's a big debate about that. But that is a non-issue in terms of the overall legal preponderance that a harm has been, you know, committed and there is some due recourse for the harm that has been suffered. Um, but as we know, there, there are some people who can trace their lineage back to slavery on both sides of their family but there are a lot of people who cannot. So from what Dr. Darity has spoken about in the past, he talked about people who have descended from slavery and through the census have identified as being black because the concern is if a reparations program looks like it is being put in place, every lily white person in this country gonna dig up the records and be like, ooh, I'm one tenth, one percent, one eighth white or one eighth, you know, descendant. So in order to prevent that, they're putting a two tier system, they're recommending a two tier system because those blacks who have passed for white and claimed white and are on their birth certificates and this and that, then in a sense, you have opted out of, you know, the situation because you're known to be white. Um, which is different from those who are black and, you know, even though they're like complexioned or mixed or this and that, they have still consistently identified as black on through the census and through the records. But it's not going to be an easy thing because so much time has passed, but we can't let, as they say, the perfect be the enemy of the good. There is still a lot of work that needs to be done but we can't let these minor, relatively minor issues be the undoing of the justice that's due. And so, right. you know, it's just one of those things that needs to be discussed. Yeah, and my other question was about, um, since you basically have to factor in, when did immigration start? Like for the first African coming from the other countries, if you know what that date is, then whatever date that came before it should be like the stopping point and whatever, was before that is basically where you would probably find descendants of slaves themselves. And that's largely in the mid to late 60s with the update of the Immigration and Naturalization Act. That's when we had in this country a more significant influx of um, non-native blacks from other parts of the diaspora. But up to that point, the vast majority of black people in this country were descendants of slaves. And it makes sense because when you think about it, who's going to be trying to migrate or immigrate to a country where the black people are catching holy hell? They, <laughs> when there was good opportunity and a reasonable safe space. But we also need to um, discern the difference between, you know, immigrant blacks who need and have access to the um, the anti-discrimination 
laws that are based on race specifically and distinguish that from being owed the debt of reparations because you have been denied generationally the um, benefit of the work and that your people have done and the suffering that they have endured. So, and that's why, you know, in the Adolf's language, they speak about a black agenda saying, because this nation is white supremacist in nature, beyond the fact of the debt of reparations, you've created a context where black people of any lineage or even the people of color may suffer because of the context of white supremacy and they have access or they need a remedial piece in terms of how they live day to day. And that is the black agenda. But that's different um, from the reparations proper. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'll say two more things. On the, I'll let Frank speak. Uh, Sabrina, when you brought that thing about the BlackRock thing, uh, you made me scream because I, I was at the corner store. Because I was going to buy something, and I was like, we're bringing a BlackRock, but PepsiCo. I'm like, bitch, no, don't fucking say that right now. I'm at a corner store. I'm buying Pepsi right now. I'm buying chips. <laughs> I was like, I'm hungry. Am I supposed to just give up on not eating? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Go ahead. Um, um, Let me let Frank jump in for just a second. Go ahead, Frank. Go ahead. Just go ahead and unmute. <laughs> Hi, hi, Sabby. Um, haven't talked to you in a while. About uh, three weeks ago, I discovered some more. Um, I did some more research on um, the regulation of paramedics and found it to be worse than I thought. So that that always shakes me up. Um, I found that uh, it's how they do that. If someone complains about a paramedic, how they do the investigations is they actually don't. They just have one person do that, and I don't think he's ever getting any of the documents. And the others just do as they're told because they work for that person. <laughs> so um, there haven't been any investigations of in um, of paramedics. Um, I know of five deaths and that paramedics were responsible for, and um, they didn't do anything. They didn't investigate them at all. So. Um, but I, 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 you did uh, t talk about um, uh, one thing you said during your show today was about uh, um, that you needed a, need a degree to uh, be an attorney. And um, the, the only real reason for that is the American Bar Association's uh, grip on the government. And they accredit the degree and they also give the test. So we have a corporation um, that Give, you know, has the has the degree and says their degree isn't good enough that you have to have a test after you get their uh, after you have their their degree, um, and it's and it there hundred years ago there nineteen oh six exactly was the start of it. Um, the Bachelor of Law um, became a juris juris doctorate um, without any real change in in the in um, in the curriculum and. Uh, that was and that was done first at the University of Chicago, which was founded and funded by John Rockefeller. Um, he also had a study on, on um, to limit the number of uh, medical schools. So that limits the number of medical doctors. And um, that that does. Uh, and uh, Harvard was right behind uh, the University of Chicago to up that 
bachelor's degree to a Juris Doctorate. So it costs more money and it's more elitist to, to be an attorney. Um, we're still the we're still a country that had Abraham Lincoln as a president. And he was an attorney, so um, he didn't, ha and he just had an eighth grade education. So we, I this is one of the things I've been you know talking about is trying to fix our regulatory systems. So um, you know I, I I do I I do want uh, attorneys to be knowledgeable, um, but and you know I don't have a problem if there's a standard test given to anyone that wants to take it and um not just uh, not just having that particular degree and um and also have a question of uh what what advice would you have to for any to give to someone who's starting a youtube channel <laughs> oh no you're asking me um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh no um I would say, uh, based on my experience, I think it's really important to to be patient and not expect a lot in the beginning. Like I think, yeah. And the reason why I say that it doesn't mean that you're not good. It just means that the algorithm is very different than it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. So it is going to be a lot harder for you now. It, look, it was hard for me and yeah. those of us at RBN. And we started, we started after Biden won and it was hard then. It's even harder now. And yeah. so just don't, don't, uh, just be patient in, in reference to growth because the reality is unless like you get someone big to promote you, and even then, and I've, I've seen some big channels promote people and they still aren't growing the way that they would five years ago. Mm -hmm. That's the algorithm fucking with you. And so, yeah. so that, that's a big thing. Like be patient too. Yep. Don't compare your channel to other channels that are yeah. legacy channels. And what do I mean by legacy channels? People who were here before the algorithm changed. Let's just put it that way. So people, people who came during like that Bernie 2016 or you know the the Bernie 2020 run like those people uh, uh they were around during a time when the algorithm didn't heavily suppress independent media okay. so don't compare yourself to channels that have like a hundred thousand subscribers two hundred thousand subscribers don't do that those people, yep. and by the way, some of those people took them a long time to like build to that audience. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. But the other thing too, is that um, whatever you do, don't build your channel around a campaign. And uh, I, if you don't listen to it anything else I say, please listen to that. That's very important because I, I saw that happen. And then some people built their channels just solely around the Bernie campaign. It's oh, one yeah. thing to okay. do news. Not gonna do that. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to do news and to cover that as part of news, but it's another thing to for that to be your sole thing. Which it all works if that person wins, but if that person doesn't win, then it doesn't work in your favor. Yeah. Um so yeah. there's there's that. Uh there are some people who have been able to profit off of an anti Trump channel. I would say don't do that either. Don't do an anti Nope. I'm just going to be anti-Trump channel or anti, 
you know, one person channel because eventually that person will fade away and then you're going to have to pivot to something else. Like, like that's the thing, like the algorithm sucks. Like, I'll be honest with you. And so there's that that you're going to have to deal with. But what will happen is because you're fighting against the algorithm is that sometimes people will not be their self. They will try to copy another channel because that channel's doing really well in the algorithm. I highly recommend that you don't do that. Okay. You have to be yourself. We don't need yeah. another, don't take this the wrong way guys, but we don't need another <laughs> majority report. We don't need right. <laughs> We don't need another, we already have those. So yeah. what you have to do is you have to offer something that is unique. I'm one of the ways, <laughs> one of the reasons I believe why those of us at RBN were able to, were able to grow, not just because some people promoted us, but also because we offered something different. And I think that is what is needed in this space in independent media. I think if you're just gonna, if you're gonna create a channel and you're gonna sound just like, uh, majority report, or if you're going to sound just like secular talk, or you're just sound just like, uh, I'm trying to pick like the bigger channels. Nobody yeah. wants to see the any more of that. So yeah. you have to no. give some people something different. Otherwise people will tune out. And that's the thing. Like, and I, and I was one of those people who tuned out, right? I was one of those people that I used to watch all these people. I used to watch like humanist report, uh, secular talk, uh, na rational national, I watch. I still watch Jimmy. I used to watch like um, well, well, Rising when it was Crystal and Sauger. I still watch Rising, mm -hmm. um, Miss Bree and and Robbie, but it's it's different now. And yeah. eventually, what happened is that I would see the same news stories on Secular Talk, Humanist Report, and National uh, Rational National. Same news stories, same talking points, same as TYT. And eventually, I checked out. So I mm -hmm. think that's the thing. You have to give something different, uh, something oh. unique. Think yeah. about something yeah. that's not being discussed. Yeah, and that's that's why I'm actually wanting to start the the channel. I, I'm I'm not a natural for this type of stuff. You can hear me. You know, my speech patterns aren't 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 perfect. <laughs> so what? But I have I am a hell of a researcher. And I do a lot of investigating and understand this, how this power structure is created. And so I'm actually going to be teaming up with a, a, a woman that's a, an attorney and a city counselor and explain, you know, some of the law violations that are going on, um, you know, in within the government. They're not doing their jobs. You, you explain it in detail um, and also explain our, our regulatory systems. I've been doing research on this stuff for over a decade, 11 years now. So I have a lot of evergreen stories that I can bring, bring out, you know, I could, I could do a long form story a day for a year <laughs> with, without bringing up new stuff. So I have, I have a lot and what, what my main real, my main audience, I, I'm hoping is that other YouTube channels and actually on the right and the left, um, because right, I hear a lot of complaint about elites, but it doesn't go any further than that. They don't know how the how the elites are rigging the system for them, or uh, against them, and how, how they're um, you know you know on a local and state really. You know, I've really have done a deep dive in the state of Colorado, and I'll continue to do that. Um, but it's all the states are 
you know, they're, they're a little different in the, what the laws actually say, but the actions are all the same and they're ruled by the same corporations and the same people. And in the lefties, um, we, we, we really don't understand, you know, the, the real power structure and how, how it works. We know who the rich people are and how they're, how they're buying. Um, but what, what are the laws being broken and, and, and how are, you know, how are, how are this power structure kept in, in place, you know, with lawlessness? So, um, we'll be discussing that and some other, um, police issues as well, too. That sounds awesome. Um, and, and you know, that's really needed, Frank. Like that guy that I showed tonight, um, James O'Keefe. Yeah. You know, I, I may not agree with him on his political views, but yep. it was really smart of him to start a network just of citizen journalists that go out and focus on corruption. I thought that yeah. was very smart. And honestly, that's what we need more of. We need more citizen journalists. Like, it can't just be the same couple of people that go out and like, I do on the ground reporting every now and then, but I don't do it as much as I would like to just because resources, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but we need people doing exactly what his citizen journalists are doing. That conversation with that guy that used to work at BlackRock, we need more of that. We need more people who can go out on the ground and uncover like these stories about corruption. I think that's, that's a big yeah. way to go. Yeah, I, I do a lot of records requests. I do probably average about one a day. Um, some they come in spurts, but uh, I, you know, I, I, I do quite a few of them. And uh, you know, <laughs> the Democratic Party has actually trained their their voters and their constituents to um, just to say, I don't, I don't understand what you know Frank's getting at <laughs> when they do. <laughs> But then their voters go, I don't get it. <laughs> so looking for a smarter audience, too. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. You know, um, I think once you find your your niche and yeah. it wasn't easy for me in the beginning, um, my channel was slow to grow until um, it was actually Jimmy who platformed me and then things yeah started to take off but but before that i think it was almost impossible to find me i wasn't even doing live streams in the beginning so there's that um yeah. but um, I, I do have to make that the you know call whether i'm going to do some live streams or just uh you know just a um or do them you know in in you know in an in-studio type thing and, and put them out later i don't know how to don't don't know exactly what we're if we're going to do that live or not. But. Yeah. Like it's, and, and one thing to keep in mind too, is like, I have been doing this for a little over two years. So, um, I mean, it, it took time five years ago, man, if you started like an independent, like left independent media channel, you could probably get like a hundred thousand subscribers your first fucking year. That's mm -hmm. almost impossible now. Yeah. Almost impossible unless you're a part of the TYT network. And I explained yeah. this to you guys before when Mike Figueredo had his situation that TYT has a, a, a channel within YouTube. So they are a part of the corporate algorithm. And those are usually all the videos that come up before you even get to someone like me. So, 
So that means they're sort, of bought, they're sort of bought by Google as well as Katzenberg. <laughs> right. Like, um, they don't really want you to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> right. They don't really want you to hear what those of us at RBN are saying. And RBN, and, and this is another thing I've been doing, like, analytics research recently. RBN is actually even more suppressed than my channel is. Like, my channel's suppressed, but RBN yeah. is even more suppressed. Huh. I, yes. I expect myself to be suppressed because... You know, all the courts and all the politicians suppress me anyways. Even my state rep is blocking me on Twitter. <laughs> Damn it. So I'm wrong. surprised I've, mine haven't blocked me because I'm not nice to them. Yeah, I've known her for 11 years personally. She infiltrated these protest groups to gather information. And now they, they some of these people that are still left in these protest groups, you know, thinks, you know, play the, like she's a goddess and she's here to save us. And like, oh, no, she's she's there to take information from you and give it back to the governor. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and she, you know, she's a DSA member and, you know, she doesn't care. Oh, <laughs> um, OK. Um, thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Frank. OK, have a good night. You too. We'll bring in Haitian uh, Jacobin, and then I'm going to pivot to Case Study QB. I see Case is here. What's up, Haitian Jacobin? Just got to unmute. Got to hit that unmute button. Hit the unmute button. Got to hit that unmute button. Unmute button. Oh, I don't know what happened to, to Haitian. Oh, Hello. there you go. What's up? Hey, what's up? Um, sorry, I was actually waiting at the metro and my train just came in. That's why I'm Oh, no worries. Okay, you want me to pivot to, to Case? I can pivot to Case. Case, what's up? Just gotta unmute. Hey, uh, sorry, I'm, I just got a call, so I'm gonna jump back uh, in after I get the call. All right. Okie doke. All right, so so Haitian, do do you want me to come back to you? Want me to just make you a speaker? Yeah, because I don't I it's, um, got a couple stops, so I didn't want to because I don't think you could hear me. So I was just gonna wait for a little bit. So. Okay, so um, I just invited you to to be a speaker, so you can do that, and then I'm gonna go ahead and pull in uh, Jared. You're the next caller. What's up, Jared? Welcome back. Hey, how you doing? What's up? Hi. Um. So yeah, I wanted to. I was just wanted to respond. Um. Um. To a woman who called earlier, I can't remember her name, but I know that she was talking about RFK, and um, his stances on a, on the medical system and things like that. And um, I think it's very good to have those stances on a medical system, and to be critical of um of the factory farming system, which I believe is one of the major causes um, of sickness in the country, as well as pollution. Um, but I, I, I find it kind of, I just find it a little hard to believe um, that he he really stands firmly in his stances because to me, like you said, he seems very wishy-washy. Um, and I don't, I don't know um, how concrete his plans are, um, on issues that he talks about, and it it just it makes me a little um, it just makes me skeptical 
that he's going to be um that he was so easily kind of um swayed on Palestine but that then he's going to take on big pharma and the military industrial complex which is uh that's very hard to do the reason why i would like to go with cornell west is because he's against he's firmly against all of those things and you know i don't i just don't see him i don't see him budging on those things like i see him actually as a person who you know he has convictions you know he, he's uh he's based strongly enough in his convictions that he feels like he will die for this and i'm not saying the rfk won't i don't know him personally but I feel like if you're easily that swayed on the Palestine issue, it's very hard for me to believe that you're going to go up against um, the military industrial complex. You know, it's just hard to believe for me. And um, and the thing that she spoke about on food, um, I think you would honestly do best on like moving somewhere where you could grow your own food or just get it with a cooperative to grow your own food. Because I also do believe that most of these issues that we're facing, it really honestly is going to come down to the people um organizing and um and fighting for them not politicians um and that's when I well, that's what I was talking about earlier when I was saying that a lot of people are going to leave the democratic party because they see that these politicians don't do anything for them and a lot of people have begun to leave the republican party too so it's going to be a lot of a lot more populist movements going on and i believe that the grassroots is um the grassroots is the right place for people to go. Of course, we know like a lot of people are going to get funding for billionaires and so-and-sos. Um, but I, I also like what the woman was saying earlier. Um, I'm so sorry. I forgot your name, but she has so many great Nat- points. Where she, was- oh, I'm sorry. Natalie. Yeah, I think it was Natalie. Yes. Um, or it was, no, I'm sorry. It was, it was someone who also has an N in their name. Um, but she was saying that people need to be intellectually like, um, and you know, I honestly don't feel like you need to go to college unless you, unless you need to use those funds that you're making to put back into the movement. But she was basically saying that people need to be intellectually sound and also know how to have trades and do things for themselves because you really, uh, you, you, you can create your own sort of, um, ecosystem, economic ecosystem. I feel like if you have trades, you know, and if you're, if you're skilled in those fields, I believe. But um, but yeah, I would say as far as the food thing, you're better off like growing your own food. Honestly, I think a lot of people are going to start to leave the country, to be honest with you, um, in like maybe the next 10 or 15 years, because I think the appeal will just be lost um, if the financial system keeps going the way that it is. Um, for me, food's a big deal. So moving somewhere I could grow my own food, you know, is a very big deal to me. Um, but yeah, I'm going to land my plane. That's, that's all I had to say. Thank you very much for the space again. Awesome. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, that was Noel. I think that was Noel. Yeah, more people, more people have been talking about leaving the U.S. Um, that's becoming a, a pretty uh, popular topic. What's up, Case? What's going on? Savvy apologize for earlier here at work, <laughs> so I just got a call. But much love to you. It's been a minute. I think I don't think we had. I was on a call since uh, the whole the worker strike back event that I was at. But um, yeah, I, I'm good. Uh, excited about Cornell West's run. You know, I already heard hashtag go west. You know, I might I might try to start working on um green enter. You know how there's them exit them enter. I would say green hashtag green enter. That's that's a hashtag I'm thinking about pushing. But um yeah, everything is good. 
Yeah, um, I know. I think uh, other people are going to try to rally people to register as green so they can vote for mm-hmm. Dr. West in the green uh, primary. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know that's there's a big push for that. And it really makes me feel warm hearted to hear that Jill Stein is going to be is involved. Like that makes me feel some kind of way because Jill's been through this. She ran for president as a green. She already knows what's going to come their way. Um, she has that experience and you know, she, but more importantly, she has that experience running in a presidential campaign as a third party candidate. So she already knows the challenges that Cornell is going to face. But the fact that he's already polling 6% right out the gate. And I know for some people, they're like, that's not much as a third party candidate right out the gate. That's actually huge because you already passed that 5% threshold to get uh, federal funding. It's very exciting. I did not know until I clipped today, um, Miles Mont Hill was interviewing Cornel West on the Griot show, his Griot show. And he said he w- he's a Green Party um, member for like 20 years. Yeah. Mont Lamont Hill. Yeah, he's a Marxist. I was like, really? wow. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a, a Marxist. No, he's yeah. not a Democrat. He, he's a Marxist. I don't know if a lot of people realize that. I was telling JB about that earlier today. And JB was like, I didn't know he was a Marxist. And I said, yeah, he's a, he's a Marxist. He's He's been open about that. Now, he has has made it to um, different parts of media where he has he is representing like the Marxist voice. Like he was a part of Black News Channel. You remember that uh, case? Um, BNC. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, which is the, I think that's what happened was that the Grio um, owner, I forgot, I can't think of the name right now. Something Allen, Byron Allen, maybe he, he, I think he bought the rights to um, Byron BNC, Allen. And that's why it's Byron, Byron Allen. Allen. Thank yeah. you so much. And that's they, why um, he's able to go there. The Grio now is being broadcast on the same platforms that. Um, at least in cable news and cable that uh the bnc was so uh yeah yeah that's he was on that and then he used to be on cnn until they kicked him off for saying uh pro-palestinian uh statements and when he did that they kicked him out of cnn yeah a lot of people don't realize that about him but yeah he he is a marxist um and he's not afraid to say that like but um Rio actually reached out to me a while back. I need to get back to them about uh, articles. So um, mm. I'm hoping to write an article about this, um, the on the ground reporting I just did in Salem, Massachusetts about the people being uh, evicted. So I don't know if they'll accept it, but we'll, we'll see. If not, I can put it in my sub stack, but I just want more people to have eyes on that. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, Cornell West, there was a, uh, the BET, I think he was the BET owner or founder, that he was pushing for a new third party that came out of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. So like a, a, a Black people-focused third party. And I'm like, well, we got Cornell West now. So I think if Cornell West has any connections to that guy, he should reach out. And then we know Ice Cube um, was also trying to push a black agenda. That's another place where Cornell West should reach out and do like a podcast with Ice Cube. And then also Cornell West is a, a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, a black uh, historical black fraternity. So he could, he has a lot of um, avenues where he can reach out to. And he's been pushing that in a lot of his interviews saying that 
you know, he left, he started with the People's Party, but then he's using the Green Party now as a basis uh, for his uh, infrastructure. But he wants to reach out to different places. So Workers Strike Back could be an organization that he could bring into the fold. I think the Peace and Freedom um, Movement or, or a party, they have ballot access in certain places as well. I, I think it will be very interesting to see Cornel West on not only the Green Party ballot, uh, ballot line, but on other ballot lines that's similar in mindset, like the Peace and Freedom Party, I think they're out in California. I think there's a, another socialist party in New Jersey where I am. I remember seeing, I had to pick between the Green Party and another socialist um, ballot line. And I, I said, let me just go with Green Party. So if he can bring all these fractions together behind him, that would be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny, what's going on? I'm just thoroughly enjoying the optics of the establishment meltdown with all these maneuvers. Kennedy, West, it tells you where the people are to see how quickly they've both risen in the polls. And then how they responded to Peter Hotez and the whole scandal around Kennedy actually talking out loud on Joe Rogan. I mean, the whole week has just been pure joy for me because I've been a health freedom activist for a long time. I've been deplatformed from YouTube eight times because of my content just information misinformation and so it's just joyful to see so many of us who've been so censored being handed our microphones back on twitter and the opportunity to just speak out and share our views on all of this stuff and i'm so proud of bobby kennedy and i feel like it's a watershed moment for the country to have him standing up right now in such a visible and courageous way um, if, if people really understood the past 18 years of his vaccine activism, they would just be bowled over by the truth of what's happened to him. But um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, this is this is so interesting, man. Like, this is so interesting. I think this is a I was talking to uh, my dad about, you know, all of this stuff recently. And my dad was just like, you know, he never thought he'd see this in his lifetime. So, uh you know, well, and, and, the, the and DeSantis, he, he remembers like Ross, Ross Perot and stuff like that. But like he yeah, said, yeah. like, this is a, a much bigger name and the pushback that is coming against like Joe Biden. My dad said, like, you know, now hopefully more people won't just look at Ice Cube and just be like, you know, you're sending us to the Republican Party. They're starting to realize like, nah, like a lot of people are not fucking happy with Joe Biden. Yeah. Well, the wheels have officially come off the DeSantis bus. He's not doing well at all in the polls. And he's the establishment candidate. A lot of money behind his campaign, uh, especially uh, military-industrial complex money. And yeah. um, people are sick of it. They don't want it. Mm. DeSantis, and I said this before, when I played like his uh, announcement ad, 100% focused on culture war. Big mistake. Big mistake during the time where people were suffering economically. Yeah, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if 25% of the country is hungry. Mm, it, it just like, he's focusing on the wrong things. Like, honestly, like, what we have to understand is like, Ron DeSantis comes from that elite class, right? Like, he's he went to Yale, like, you know, he was a JAG officer, he's a lawyer, like, like, he comes from that elite class. So what he doesn't understand 
I think he really thought that because of some of the rhetoric that Trump had that, oh, I just got to run on woke, wokeism, and that's going to bring people over to my side. Uh, no, dude, when Trump ran economically, the country was not where it is now. You have to focus on the number one issue that people are upset about. And all the polls show the number one issue is the economy. That's right. So for him to not even have that as a message, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is so stupid to me. You don't even mention the inflation issue. You don't mention the military industrial complex. You don't mention the anti, you know, the, the war issue that we have. You don't mention any of these things. You don't miss, mention the housing crisis. You're running on, I'm going to end wokeism. Good luck, bud. Yeah. At the end of the day, people don't really care. You know, the, the main thing I think, at least on the right, because I'm friends with a lot of conservatives, is they're concerned about the kids, the little kids in elementary school being exposed to stuff that they're not mature enough to face. But other than that, I, I think it's a wash. And we really do need to, to grapple with these institutions that cost so much money, the big war, big pharma, they have to be confronted directly. And I just think Bobby Kennedy's definitely got the will to do it. I think on some level, Trump came out as a very peaceful president when everybody was predicting that he was going to cause World War III. Uh, no, it's been Biden's administration who's been fanning the flames of World War III. And wasn't that a, a spectacle today with Hunter Biden? I mean, I noticed that was the header for your show. You know, he's not even going to be really charged with any anything or do time in jail. I mean, it's just nuts. Mm-hmm. All because of who his daddy is. Yeah, I'm so sick of it. Everybody is. The hypocrisy just never stops. Well, keep on keeping on. And to that guy who called earlier and said he was just kind of getting started with his YouTube, everybody on here should start a YouTube channel, start talking. Even if you influence one person with one hour of content, that's something. And this is what I've said in all of my activist circles, because I was a big part of the Tea Party back in the day and organizing events at the Denver Capitol. Even if you have one hour to give to whatever cause you're passionate about, that's more than nothing. And so I think everybody should just start speaking out as much as they can and that that's how we're going to win back our country. There you go. What's up, uh, Roger? I say start a ballot initiative first. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Before you talk about start YouTube channels, we got we got a lot of YouTube channels. We're going to change the country. We got to actually put force behind it, behind the words. We got to we got to put it put these initiatives on the ballot ourselves. But I also would like to give congratulate you on your on the ground reporting on what you did covering the uh, your neighborhood today or the next neighborhood, the whole housing thing. Um, that's cool. We we definitely need more of that. I was looking at those. I was. It was funny because you see you see one suburban neighborhood. It's kind of like you've seen them all. It, because I was looking at the background. I'm like, well, that kind of looks where I live at. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's a completely different state. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not even that area I was in. That's not even suburban, actually. Um, it's not. It's actually not considered suburban. At least that part because of the the project housing there but but yeah it's um it's 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 really sad like uh united front against displacement they've been doing amazing work like here and they're in massachusetts they're in new york city also in san francisco 
So their big thing is the housing issues and tenants' rights. And so I've I've done things with them before. Uh, I, I know when we confronted Mayor Michelle Wu, that was also with them. Um, but this idea that developers could just buy up a freaking apartment complex and these people are forced to, to vacate, that's some bullshit. But it's been happening all across this country and mainstream media is not talking about this. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're kind of dying and all they're doing is talking about the elections. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm glad also that you pressed Jimmy on the, on the whole reparations thing as well. I'm still, if I get a chance when he comes to New York in August, I'm gonna see if I could get tickets so I could talk to him too about that. But it let was, him know um, who you, let him know who you are, Roger. Like, let him know who you are. Be like, sure. I'm Roger Meadows. Uh, and, I, I, um... <laughs> his wife will know who I am. I don't mean it like that. I mean, you know, he leaves the room. <laughs> his, his, he leaves the room. He don't read his own chats. I'm like, what the hell is this? I was just like, man, first you're dismissive of your of your viewers, then you're dismissive of us. I'm like, what the hell is this? He's like, he's the only YouTuber. I think Steph's job is the one that basically reads super chats. He just basically talks. No, that's no excuse. Look, people. Why should he be the only person, the only YouTuber that don't read his viewers' chats? I'm not giving him a pass on that. But also, well, he's not. Um, he's not the only. He's not the only one. What? No, most of the big ones don't. To be honest, most of the no big excuse. channels don't don't read those things at all. Well, I think that's still no excuse, but. Um, you know, the, the thing was that he didn't understand was that, let me, let me tell you something. Um, after, and you kind of touched on it a, a little bit or whatever the case is, but a lot of us, as you know, we've been screwed by these universal programs. I'm speaking as like an avatar for the community. I'm not really like speaking as me, myself, Roger Meadows, but a lot of us have been screwed by these universal policies. We've either, like I said before, we were either left out like the New Deal or it was expanded to, to others, such as like the, the, the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment and affirmative action, or it, would, or it hurt us like the New Deal and the interstate highway system that barreled through our neighborhoods, destroying our uh, way of life and our, what do you call it, our um, economies. You know, they just uh, just put it through, just put the interstate high, highway through through this black neighborhood or whatever, completely destroying our, you know, yep. economy, whatever. But, you know, oh, eminent domain, that's what it is. Um, or, uh, what do you call the other thing? It was, um, oh, oh, or like these things like people of color, you know, or, or minority. We would get out of all like the non, out of all the non-whites, we would get the short end of the stick. You know what I mean? And because of that, uh, the the community, the freedman community, the reparationist community, is like, you know what? Frick it, we weren't benefiting it from it as much as everyone else was. So they're becoming single issue voters, you know. And I, yep. you know, like the entire community, they're becoming single issue voters, and they're not going to be because understand he was saying, oh, it's divisive issue, whatever. He don't he doesn't understand to be black 
my very existence is divisive. You know what I mean? Yeah, I so. would have, I would have, to be fair, like, I would have explained that a little bit more if I had the time, but, um, yeah, that was, that. I'll explain it to him when, when he comes to you. That, that's right. I'll explain it to him when he comes yeah, to Yeah, but I, I think Jim, Jimmy understands it's a little bit more than most people. And I say this because, you know, Kyle Kalinske had a terrible take on reparations. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've driven in Westchester County before dropping off customers. It's it's very nice. It's I, had just, a Westchester- that, I had a friend that lived in Westchester County and and mm-hmm. Kyle grew up in um uh New Rochelle. And oh, New Rochelle, that's right yeah, above the front. Right. It's it's a mixed community. Like there's black people and white people, but what I notice is like the black people tend to live on one side of New Rochelle and the white people live on another side of New Rochelle. So the thing is it's like you know Sounds yeah. like New York. Yeah, Sounds like I mean, every place in New York State. Yeah, like, I mean, it just, you know, like, Sabi was a little bit confused. Because, like, when, when I moved to New York, I moved there from uh, South Carolina at that point in time. And mm-hmm. that was my first time being there. But I moved there from South Carolina, which is definitely more integrated. And when mm-hmm. I mean integrated, I mean in the schools, in the neighborhoods, et cetera. North Carolina, same thing. So when you come from those states, and same thing, I, I was born in Maryland, Maryland, same way, more integrated. And then you go to these, these towns outside of New York City. By the way, anything north of New York City, people call upstate. But these towns outside yeah. of New York City, and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like same thing east. Oh, sorry, my bad. Oh, go ahead. It's the same thing east of New York City out here in out here in Long Island, out here in Long Island suburbs. It's it's, it's the same thing. Yeah, and, and, and Long Island is very you, you know it's like I'm like you know you're looking for like the black people and it's like the black people are on like one side of town or they don't fucking exist, and so people have to understand that when you listen to some of these talking points that come from channels like Majority Report that like that come from even Jordan Sheridan these people like Emma Vigilant and Jordan Sheridan these motherfuckers are from Long Island and Long Island is heavily segregated yeah yeah there was um so i had i had spoke to uh uh Jordan when he was covering us do you remember that Easter Sunday thing that we did with the uh what do you call the thing? The the, um, the New York Health Act? Yep. When Scott, right. So he was covering us. So he was telling me, he I didn't know that he was from, you know, uh, from out here. He was telling me he was from Massapequa. It's, is it Massapequa is where the, where the Baldwin brothers are from, right? Yeah. So some people might think it's, it's wealthy, but remember when I told you everything goes according to perspective? You know what yep. I mean? You get somebody from a third world country and put them in the middle of the projects in Brooklyn or something like that. They think, oh, man, you guys are living high off the hog. So, like, if you're from the city, you'll look at Massapequa and you'll think that it's wealthy when actually it's just a nice place to live. I mean, they ain't struggling, but they're not rich either. You know what I mean? I was doing a uh, what do you call it? Um, I was I was I was researching. I kind of knew this already, but you'll find most of the wealthy areas at least i I can't really speak of suffolk county but of nassau most of the wealthy areas are on the north shore you know what i mean and and a lot of them a lot of those houses 
you know, like the median household income will be anywhere between uh, 251,000 to 500,000 something, you know, 600,000 something. And the, and the homes are like uh, 1.2.2 million, whatever the case is. So I used to like between when I drove a, a taxi and I would I would pick those places up. Right. Or if I drove an Uber. Right. Let me tell you some wealthy people like to live in utter darkness. They, they don't have like well lit places or whatever. No. And when, when I, exactly. It's, it's like that way you took where you are at too. They like to live in other, utter darkness. No damn lights. If, if you go to like, seriously, if you go to um, Weston, Massachusetts, which is like one of the wealthiest towns uh, in Massachusetts. Right. So I used to work in Weston at one point in time. If you go to Weston, Massachusetts, that's like David Ortiz used to live there. For those who don't know, that's Big Poppy. Um, he lived there. There were a couple other Red Sox players who lived there. It's not far from Boston. You go to Weston, Massachusetts, I'm like, these motherfuckers ain't got no damn lights. No, they don't. It's when dark I pick, on windy roads. When I would pick up, I wasn't going there to pick up the owners. I was picking up either their their teenage kids or the help. So what would happen is I would have to be buzzed in so the gates would open. And no, it's not a gated community because a gated community is like one gate to an entire community. I'm talking about a gate for every mansion or manor or whatever you want to call it, right? You don't see the home from the beginning of the driveway. You have to take a 30-second drive up the driveway and as you're driving up, lights are coming on. You've seen all these crazy statues popping up out of nowhere. And you'd be like, oh, that's a nice house. They'd be like, no, 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 that's the help's house. That's our house. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. And when I would pick up, when I would pick up, right? And it was, it was all these, all these like, you know, Caribbean ladies who were from Brooklyn who, is, who did not want to stay at, at the guest house or whatever. I was like, how come you don't want to stay? I said, nah, because then I got to wait on these people you know, like hand and foot or whatever the case is, they're like, nah, just, just take me home to the hood. <laughs> you know what I mean? So even with that nice place or whatever, it wasn't really worth staying there because they couldn't really like relax because, you know, they'd be calling them for something or whatever. But um, I think you, saw, I think I told you about the Wolf of Wall Street, right? I told you about that, right? That the movie? Yeah, I haven't the movie. seen it. Oh, you gotta watch it. There's a, there's a part in there's a part in there with that deals with a country club. Okay. That's where that country club is located. When you do see it and anyone that's seen it, the part where the country club, okay. It's called either Brook. There's three Brookvilles, Brookville, upper Brookville or old Brookville. It's one of those Brookvilles. Okay. And one of my customers took me past that place and say, yeah, this is the, this is the country club where that, where, where that particular scene had, happened or whatever the case is so like like i said so everyone thinks that people outside the city i'm sorry people in the city think that everybody in long island lives like that <laughs> it's just like no yeah it's 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 not like that <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's not so i was just saying that something like massapequa that's just like a regular nice place to live in but it's not it's nowhere compared you know what I mean? To 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 where they're at. And you, have this, 
just add for people who may not be aware, New York is like a pretty large state, actually. It's not like Texas large, California large, but it's actually a pretty large state. And there's more in New York besides New York City. I just want to say that to people because, you know, people that live in other parts of New York, they always have yep. like this chip on their shoulder, like, like New York is not New York City. And that is yep. very cool. When you, venture, <laughs> when you venture outside of New York City and you go to like Albany and Syracuse and Rochester and you go to all the other like upstate like cities, you will see a big difference. So just FYI, and not everyone has that New York City accent, like that accent that you hear, the people like people from New York talk like this, that's mm -hmm. more prominent in New York City. Uh, that some people call it that Brooklyn accent. Queens has like its own accent, but yeah, that's more prominent in New York City in those five boroughs. Once you venture out away from that, because people asked me before, they were like, Kyle Kalinske says he's from New York, but he doesn't have that accent. I was like, he's not from New York City. People from New yep. York City have a very different accent than people who are not from New York City, but they live in New York. So like if you go to Syracuse, you hear a different accent. You go to Albany, you hear something different. If you go to, actually you get to Buffalo, New York, you hear a completely different accent. And I've been it all probably those sounds places. a little Canadian probably. It does, it does. It, it almost gives me like old Bobby, don't you know vibes or something. You can't uh -huh. get there from here. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, is that like, um, they, we, you know what we call, what black people call up upstate, we call it up south. I think that's pretty much, you know, like self it's self explanatory. You know, but no, it's true. Like not everybody, you know, but people do think that, you know, the same thing with Massachusetts, like if someone tells someone like it, when I when people travel that are from Massachusetts that don't live in eastern Massachusetts, they tell people they're from Massachusetts, people automatically assume they're from Boston. There are three large cities in Massachusetts, Boston, Worcester, and Springfield. <laughs> okay, so it, they spread out across the straight, across the state, but people just assume the like, oh, you're from Massachusetts, you must be from Boston. Like there's a whole other side of the state. <laughs> if, we, if we go, if we venture outside of New York and I tell someone I'm from New York, I, I remember like, Back in the days, you know, like back back in the 80s, like my friends used to get asked, oh, have you ever seen anyone get shot? Because <laughs> they assume that we're <laughs> What is it like? I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not from New York City. I'm not from New York City. You know, that it, I mean, it was happening out here also, but, you know, it was... I was kind of like during the crack era. And it, it, was, it even got out here in the suburbs or whatever. But, um, but also... What you was talking about uh, uh, today regarding the, uh, the uh, besides the college thing, but the the jobs and stuff like that, that explains your teacher sh teacher shortage as well, uh, Sabrina. Because you was because um, you was talking about you know like hey you know people are, are like had it with this, it's it, they, they're doing they learning how to do stuff on the internet and so on and so forth. And then I remember when you said a while ago, they make you get all of these degrees just to teach some kids K through 12. And then people and then people are like, I'm not going through all that stuff, getting a loan of student debt just just to teach somebody's uh, bratty kids. 
So they're just like not bothering to teach anymore. And they go, hey, how come there's a teacher shortage? Because you got to get all these degrees and you got to get in student debt in order to teach, just not to be paid, you know, enough to get out of debt after five years. You know what I mean? So the whole, and it goes back to what you and JB were talking about today, about the writers, the original writer's strike in 2007 or 2005. And then they brought in the scab workers that they call reality, reality TV people, actors, whatever the, it is. And now the whole thing suffered. The whole entertainment industry is suffering and everything is, you know, like collapsing upon itself. And they're going, you know, what do we do? And how do we, how do we get here? And yeah, that's because there was no antitrust enforced. You weren't enforcing laws on the books. You weren't putting up new laws. You know, you, you kept favoring this, like you, all these capitalists talk about, oh, free market, competition. Okay, so shouldn't you be cheering for antitrust? I was like, you're not a free market capitalist, you're a monopolist, because you're not saying, yeah, we need to break up all these companies. You know what I mean? So it's, right. it's kind of like a big contradiction in of itself. You know what I mean? But That's how, a oh, yeah. Well, Here's let, an let, idea. Let me bring in Alexi and come back. Alexi, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to bring in Alexi and I'll come back to you, Haitian. Alexi, you're on the mic. You just got to unmute. What's up? Hey. Yeah, I just wanted Please. to point out a uh, couple things. Uh, you know how we had the yeah, BLM protests and uh, with country boys and stuff like that? So, yeah, stuff like that is used to, first of all, you know, identify leaders in the communities, you know, to arrest them or, you know, basically buy them out and to let the public vent their anger without accomplishing anything. Just like, you know, the Wall Street protests when people were there for like a year and that didn't change anything. Uh, and uh, about the Cornell West situation, I mean, you can't really use the system to change the system from inside like that. You know, like Obama, when he was going in, I believe he actually believed what he was saying. Like, it just, he didn't have the opportunity to do those things. You know, and Trump's like a populist too, you know, he ran on that stuff. Uh, well, obviously he was more of a business guy. Not you think like Obama was... actually believed in what he said? Because I don't. Well, I'm sure he said some things, you know, to appeal to the public, but I think... He was trying to change things for the better. Um, but that's, you know, I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, my point is that, you know, like uh, the Kennedy, you know, assassination, he was trying to uh, start the detente process with Soviet Union, you know, to reduce the threat of war. And, you know, he got eliminated. So, yeah, but that was also before we had super PACs. See, that's the thing. Like, that was before we had corporate money in electoral politics. Things were right. so much different back then. So when RK Jr. says, like, when he says to me, like, we want to, you know, bring back a Kennedy, the Kennedy Democrat, da-da-da, I'm like, dude, that was a totally different time. That was before, like, super PACs. That was before uh, PACs, period. Well, that was before money and politics, right. So it was easier back then to actually change. So now it's even harder, you know. Uh, 
So yeah, oh uh, yeah, the the junior, yeah, I think he's just you know, a figurehead. He's not going to change anything if he gets elected. Yeah, uh, I, I think the way that I've explained this to people with uh, Dr. West Run again, this is to start a third party movement. Like I don't expect Dr. West to win, uh, considering the the challenges in the system that will work against him. I don't expect that to happen. What I do expect to happen is a way to really give the third party movement a supercharge that it's been needing for a long time. And this could have happened in 2020 when Jesse Ventura was interested in running for president. It could have happened back then. Jesse Ventura at that point, like the favorability was 18% and he never even announced. Um, so there's that. But I think you have to start it at some point in time. And this is not to say we haven't had third party candidates run. We have. But we've never had someone with this big of a name. I mean, yeah, I'm not uh, discouraging people, you know, from supporting a third party candidate. That's definitely a good idea. I mean, uh, hopefully, if nothing else, it will put pressure on the major parties to implement some of the changes that they will see the public really, really supports. Usually that's kind of what happens. That's what I hope, you know, um, but yeah, hoping for an actual change, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen within the, the you know electoral system. I mean, the only is like when people are like, "Why are you so mad with Bernie Sanders? You need to give him credit." I do give him credit for introducing the conversation. I don't give him credit for walking away from a movement when he had hundreds of thousands of people out there who were willing to fight. Well, you know, you can find dirt on everyone. So that's why I'm skeptical about the possibility of democratically changing, you know, implementing major changes. Because, I mean, the whole system, you know, like if you're trying to implement major changes, basically everyone in the current system has, you know, in danger of losing their power and stuff like that. It's like... You, you, that just you know it's gonna be resistance, and we gotten so far away from you know any kind of real democracy that I really doubt we can achieve anything without violence, basically. Yeah, Rome. Um, Rome, my comrade from RBN, he speaks to that a lot. Um, I really wouldn't want anyone to get hurt, you know, but um. Well, people are getting we, hurt every day right now. Yeah, but I think if we ever get to a point in this country, it'll only happen when people are economically faced with no other decision. Because All right. I say that like, because people talk see, about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I say that because we see people in France, like we saw them rise up over pension reform. And Americans won't even rise up over the fact that we still have a seven dollar and twenty five cent like minimum wage. They won't rise over rise up over the fact that we don't have health care for everybody. Like, but all it took was pension reform for people in France. So that's why I say for Americans, I think it's going to take a complete collapse of the economy for people to really rise up. And I think it's going to have to affect more than just the poor and the working class. And the middle class people, I think it's going to have to get to the point where it affects people who are pretty well off financially, um, upper middle class, or even quote unquote somewhat wealthy, but they're not like multi millionaires. I think it's going to have to affect a broad spectrum for there to be some type of change. 
Well, I mean, the Trump rally, that was mostly, you know, I don't know what you call them, like businessmen, you know, kind of lower, like a restaurant owners, you know, it was like lower class, basically entrepreneurs. And I think that's kind of the, the group that generally brings fascism to power, you know, the business interests. And, um, like, you, you know, in Soviet, Soviet revolution, like that was business interests that overthrew the czar, like the first revolution. That's why there was two, you know, the second one was the Bolshevik revolution. Um, oh, and the other thing, uh, you know, you guys, uh, talked about like how wealthy people are living and stuff like that. Um, like, please don't take it personally, but you know, if you <laughs> read interviews with like, I don't know, Che Guevara, you know, Stalin, Mao or anyone like they're really like, they're laser focused on what they're trying to achieve, you know, accomplish. Um, yeah. So it's like, if you want to do great things, you know, you have to you know, dismiss the other stuff and focus on your main idea, kind of, especially, you know, in the country we live in, like the security apparatus is like ridiculous. You know, everything is like bugged and wiretapped and like they're following, you know, your location. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's can be very difficult because like I, I'm from Russia, but like I live in the U.S. for like 17 years. And people are very kind of per, like focused on themselves personally here, you know, and very individualistic. It's going to be difficult to establish, you know, an organization or a group of people that, that are going to work together. And especially because there's so many different races, religions, and, you know, like you were talking about France, like, yeah, they have people from North Africa, but they're pretty uniform there still compared to United States. And divide and conquer, like, that's the main tactic that's always been used. Alexei, can I ask you a question? Oh, are you there? Alex yeah, Alexi? he's there. He's there. Oh. Yeah, can I ask you a question real quick? Go ahead. Um, did you just say there was nothing Obama could have done? No, I said that you know, I think he did, you know, he came in, maybe not like trying to change everything, but, you know, he was trying to implement some changes for the better, in my opinion. <laughs> he was nah, a... no. no. Nope, nope, nope. He, he got a super majority, he did nothing with it. All he did was cater to the Republicans' demands. Well, you know, um, also, but yeah. hold on, let, let, me, let me finish answering you for a second there, um, Alexi. There was laws that were already in place that he could have implemented. He didn't even need any new laws. He didn't need, number one, he didn't need new laws to prosecute the Bush administration for lying us into Iraq for, uh, what's that other one, for, for torture. He didn't, need, he didn't need new laws to break up the banks. Those laws existed since 1890. Um, what do you call it? They, he didn't need new laws, he, you know, to, uh, 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 yeah, he could he, he didn't need new laws to prosecute these people who crashed our economy. It, there were laws that were already in place. Um, so you know, like not to mention the fact that he, yeah, he, he had a, a, a super majority, um, and uh, what do you call it, filibuster-proof majority. So there was plenty of things he could have done. It's just the fact that it was Citigroup who chose his um, administration. Okay, so 
he, you know, it, who you surround yourself with determines how far you're going to go. So, yep. you know, like, so I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't buy that, that, you know, like, oh, he came in with the best of intentions and, uh, no, these guys are politicians. So, you know, if, 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 and on top of that, and, and going back to what you were saying before about, yeah, okay. So you said talking about like, oh, we're going to have to do all of this stuff and, and, and there's too much division or whatever the case is. And, oh yeah, that's right. You said, um, oh, we shouldn't make big change or whatever. And then you said, oh, well, things got so bad. Well, how do you think they got that bad? Because we didn't make big change when we had the chance. So now this is the reason why we got to do, I say we got to do another strategy, which is a state-by-state -state strategy and take care of where you're at first and push um, uh, initiatives, citizen ballot initiatives to, to get these things done, you know, state-by-state. State. If you had, matter of fact, I was looking at this, Sabrina, do you know, the 17 states that allow you guys to ratify your own um, amendments into the into your state constitution, you realize that if you if all of those states abolish political parties in their state, you would have 184 Congress people in Congress that are unaffiliated with any party. You want to talk about force the vote. That's forced to vote. And plus, you'd have 34 senators as well. That's forced to vote on a massive scale. Now, I'm not saying all of them are going to be on board for all this progressive stuff that we want or whatever the case is. It depends on, you know, who the people of those districts select. But that is like what you call shaking up the system and, and, and making it bend to the people's will. You know, so that's just, you know, really something to think about. But there's, there's plenty of things we can do. We just have to put our best foot forward and do them. You know, it's it's not, you know, you can't, like I said, you, when you shovel snow, you got to take a look at what's at your feet. Stop looking over the horizon and saying, oh, look at all that snow I got to shovel. Just pay attention to what's at your feet right there. You know, mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, hit this concrete. One, two, three, four, hit the concrete. Just boom. Layer after layer. Just want to make sure we bring in Haitian Jay. Go ahead, um, Haitian Jay. Hey, uh, I'm outside walking my dog. So, can you hear me clearly? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, just want to make sure. Oh, I I agree with everything Roger was saying. Um, as far as like with Obama, uh, I was working and I work at a government building, and there's like wall to wall CNN. Fox, um, MSNBC, and I think he just did like an interview with, uh, I think her name is Kampor, Anna Kampor, I forget her name, but she's like a, like a, a international interviewer, and she was um, having like poor. a sit down, I'm a poor, yes, exactly, um, uh, Noelle always clutch, um, and he was just talking about how like, uh, no, she was asking him if the why are people so angry and if democracy is going to, I think the whole interview was about democracy. And then he had uh, one part that I was listening to. It was talking about how, you know, we have to change the economic uh, health, wealth for people. He even mentioned um, how 
I think the submarine that um, were with the five or six people that were killed and how like a week ago, there was like this boat with uh, 750 people that were, um, I can't remember, but internationally was moving from one place to another. And there was like some big ruckus that occurred. But now you see how these five or six wealthy people died and it's like captures the whole imagination of the news cycle, which I found it very interesting that it just came out of nowhere. And then they had like this whole story about the Titanic and all this other stuff. Um, yeah, like Obama had so many, which is a great thing that me being an ex uh, worker for the Bernie Sanders campaign that you saw like all of the little things he said he would do in day one and blah, blah, blah. Kind of like um, saying that there's like a health emergency to America because of whatever reason and just give everybody um, health care, give everybody Medicare or um, one thing, giving everybody a free bank account um, through their postal service. So there's like a lot. Roger is completely right that there's a lot, a lot of rules in the books that a president is willing to do or can do. I think with, uh, I guess, Alexi or, uh, uh, yeah, Alexi, one thing that you have to realize is with that, I think it makes a big difference between Cornel West and everybody else. I truly believe Cornel West is a class traitor. Like, he's a traitor to his class. Being a, uh, a uh, you know, a professor from the prestigious schools who could do book tours and do all this stuff, he could be well off, like a multi-billionaire. But then when you but see he his also, personal... He doesn't, I was going to say, he also doesn't come from wealth. That's important to mention, too. Exactly. That, yeah. But, but, he, but he, he, even if you see people like supposedly like Bill Clinton or even Obama coming from middle class, there's still a level of them wanting to achieve and be wealthy eventually. Where I don't think that's the purpose of Cornel West. Like, he's not trying to be wealthy because him being 70 years old, he would he could do that in you know when he was much younger that i think that's a big difference to weigh against someone like kennedy which i'm not saying you know he comes from wealth i'm not sure what his personal wealth is right now but there is a level where when you talk about economic issues or issues of housing and education and paying for food and rent that's something that he's not going to have He's going to sway away from the answer because he's not trying to be a class trader. He's not trying to look at the least of these, just like Cornel West talks about. And I think Noel brought that up as far as how he he will eventually talk about health care and all the other systematic issues that capitalism puts forth. And I think one of the biggest issues in this country as far as individualism is that I think people from the time they're very, very young, I think our system beats out any level of imagination of how the world could be. And when you do that, you get to a certain age and then you just become a worker or you just, you, 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 you have individual competition. So you try to, you know, from the school system, from education, like all around us, there's not a place where we collectively come together with solidarity, like that's built in. And also, you, you cease to, there's a, 
like a force field or just like this magical force, which I believe is capitalism, that forces people to not imagine how a world could be where everything's not for profit. Like, I feel like now one of the biggest reasons Cornell might have or other people that might step in might have a better case to make is there's no way you can't talk to most people and say, wouldn't you want to live in a world where majority of the things you do is not for profit? And I think that's like an easy way to open the door. If you're, and I think any serious politician or any serious person that's trying to go for cause or change, if you cannot talk about capitalism and racism and sexism and all the other things, all the isms, and show how they're all interconnect, I don't feel like you're serious. Just like how RBN says, like, you're not a serious person. And I oh, think, don't, um, don't you know, that's something that you have to look. Don't get me started on that hate. <laughs> some, some people don't like when we say that. <laughs> what, what, no, but it's, but it's very true. Like, you have to look at it that way. Haitian, um, just out of curiosity, Jay is not for Jack, is it? No, my whole name is Haitian Jacobin, but it, you just see Jack because it's like. Yeah, it only shows so much of the name. You know who Haitian Jack was, right? No, I know who Haitian Jack is. The, <laughs> the, uh, in the hip hop, yeah, the bodyguard and the thug and yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who he is, definitely. All right, I was just like, you know, this guy. I'm wondering if he's, got, he's calling from prison or something. Or what? Or what's up? Uh, now, just I'm just messing with you. Um, no, no. <laughs> also, um, oh yes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you was talking about um, the competition and capitalism. So capitalism is the competition because you was talking about we have to like come together whatever the case is right so you have to change the way you think so capitalism is for competition what cooperatives are for cooperation okay so we have to go from a competitive society to a society that cooperates with with each other you see what i'm saying so I saw this wonderful saying that articulated how I always speak. It's from R, I never heard of this guy, R Buckminster Fuller. And he said, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Okay. so. That's what I'm talking about is is build these cooperatives, an alternative business model to make the corporate business model of com competition, competing and trying to bang, 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 you know, like kill each other, whatever, make it obsolete. So now we're becoming a society that cooperates with each other. You know what I'm saying? So like, for, for instance, like, you know, Sabrina, you was talking about... Um, uh, 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 what do you, what do you call it? Uh, you had um, oh yeah, you saw about the RBN chapters, right? So it's probably too late to suggest this now, because you're about to have it like next month or whatever the case is. But when I was watching your show today, I said, and you was talking about you know, oh, thanks for covering the uh, decline in college uh thing. Um, I know I was bugging you to 
cover that for a while or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what? If, but but what about introducing to one of these things that you know the RBN chapter, whatever the case is, or whoever mutual aid. Um, I know um, case study is doing the mutual aid um, party and stuff like that. Like you go to these things and you have something there for uh, vocational trade apprenticeships. And we got some we got some stuff here to study college abroad for free. You see what I'm saying? So you, you got your thing. So you, you, I, I have that as part of my thing. Oh, which At one? Least I, have, I have it for the Boston one. I have um, a session for higher ed alternatives. So that's that's a session that I would teach. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that, so you got one to study abroad for free then. That's cool. Well, you kind of, you kind of gave that away, Roger. Um, Oh, really? (laughs) I I didn't know. It's just called higher ed alternatives, but I wasn't going to give away like what they were because yeah, that kind of defeats the purpose. But I mean, like, oh, that, that, that's part of it is to going to school abroad. You got the, you have someone for like vocational trade apprenticeships. Roger, uh, you really what, uh what, what did I do? Are you giving away my <laughs> stuff, man? Oh, I didn't know. I'm like damn. Okay, so I don't know where we was reading each other. You could have talked to me about this in private. Sorry. <laughs> Stop letting everybody know on the low low. Like everybody uh-huh. on here is not a part of the chapter. So some of them probably like, oh, so that's what's happening. You see what I'm saying? I think I DM'd you. There was something going around maybe two days ago. There's a strike happening in Bolivia. Really? Yeah, I DM dude. They they they're they're going after the president because he's go he's doing the same thing Macron did, and then he's going after like three more social programs. So you got. Four- I'll have to I'll have to look it up. By the way, I I really I I fucking hate DMs. Just FYI. <laughs> I notice. And especially like if if I'm on break, I don't even like going in there at all. I, I hate going in there because just because. A lot of times it's just a bunch of bullshit drama. So, but I'll have to check that out for sure. Yeah, well, just check out because I was looking it up because it appeared on my screen at work. There's a TV screen. They always bring up these health things. Sometimes they talk about like world events. And I tried to look it up on Google. I'm like, what the fuck? It's not even mentioned on Google. But I saw it on the TV screen at work. Well, why? Interesting. You're in Canada, sure. So just keep that in mind. I don't think so. I don't think so. Canada's just as corrupt. Yeah, but you you may see news that we don't see because I haven't seen that anywhere in the U.S. Just keep that in mind. Go ahead, Case, and then I want to make sure I move on to uh, other callers as well. But go ahead, Case. I see you're unmuted. Okay, maybe not. Um, <laughs> uh, Alexi, were you finished? If so, I'm going to move on to Lance. Um, yeah, I think Roger asked me some questions, but I, I don't remember by now. So go ahead and just. Okay. Thank you so much. Alrighty. Uh, Lance, you're on the mic. What's up, dude? Got to unmute. 
The ladybug is in the house. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, no. I think Case is stuck, stuck in a glitch. And I think Lance, Lance, I'm going to invite you to speak. And I'm going to move on to uh, Brent. Brent, you're on the mic. What's up? Just got to unmute. Hey, everybody. Um, you know, this is always uh, a complicated topic when we get in the room. And, you know, there's international topics and local topics. And, you know, I know for me uh, as a parent, I, you know, I probably am even looking at a, a smaller subset of humans with, you know, my kids and their future at eight and 10 years old. And, you know, I, th I think so many of these topics are super important. And, um, you know, like Roger, you know, like has responded Meadows and I, I was, you know, I, I come on here infrequently cause I'm a, a little bit of an awkward communicator, but in the end, um, you know, most of the solutions seem to come down to, you know, like local ballot initiatives, which I think are super valid. Um, you know, and Dr. West candidacy is, is super intriguing to me. I'm, I'm really inter interested to see where we are in one year when push comes to shove. And he's in a scenario similar to uh, Bernie Sanders in 2016. And um, I, I don't think he's going to bend, but I'm, I'm also, you know, being a year out, like it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of forces come his way. And, um, you know, at his age, and I know like from my, you know, my parents, my in-laws and a variety of people that I communicate with on a regular basis and have, you know, spirited discussions from, I think, all of our perspectives about you know, what they're casting aside um, to pursue their, you know, electoral interests and financial interests and everything else. Like, it's going to be really interesting to see what somebody, you know, does with Cornell West's integrity over all these years with all the pressures that go on in this modern society and then even internationally. Yeah, you know, I'm just really curious to see how this is going to pan out because I feel like it's it's frustrating to see all the uh, unions already supporting Biden. I know it's figureheads of the unions, but um, you know, I, I live in the PMC world. I talk to a lot of people. Um, I live, you know, in both societies. I spend most of my time on independent media um, with RBN and you know, Savvy Show for sure, and a variety of other places that um, the people I work with day to day have no idea what's, you know, what is going on. And sure, I mentioned, you know, something in other countries and like most people I, I spend time with, they, they're not there at all. And it's, it's, um, it's, I feel like even more than 2016, the next year is going to be crazy to me as a parent um, looking for what I feel is valid and, and most of what I feel is valid is in the spaces that, you know, I chat with, with everybody involved with your channel, RBN and everything else. And I'm, I'm sorry to ramble. I'm, I'm kind of done, but like at the same time, like all, all these topics are, are kind of coming to a head at once. And even more so I feel like than 2016, I feel like, you know, RFK is a fascinating candidate. So is Cornell West. And, 
you know, Bernie, I feel like had no, um, I, I guess you, you know, you call it a million things, but counterintelligence to me, like uh, Cornel West's intelligence and his perspective and trajectory is even more uh, principled than Bernie's. And then you've got RFK who's dipping his toes in that sort of integrity. And it's just going to be interesting times. And, you know, I'm rooting for the future generations because I feel like much of the independent media uh, community in the chats, and I feel like much of uh, the people that we interact with day to day in this, in this space, particularly, I, I come across a lot of people who aren't parents and it's not to, you know, it really is no hierarchy, parent or not parent, but um, the perspectives are different. And, you know, and I, I just feel like this this next year is going to be crazy to me more than any point in my life. Um, and anyway, that, that's all I have to kind of say. And I'm, I'm just curious, like what everybody thinks about those situations. Yeah, I've been warning people like 2024 is going to be wild. And I know a lot of us, we went through the 2020 uh, election and we know that was kind of like a shit show as well. But 2024, I'm telling you guys, is going to be wild because Joe Biden is not at the same mental capacity as he was when he ran in 2020. We obviously see there is a cognitive decline. Um, It's very apparent to a lot of people. The Democratic Party is still trying to run cover uh, for Joe Biden. That's also very apparent. Then on top of that, you have Trump running again, and he's pulling ahead of Joe Biden, uh, regardless if he has investigations. And I told people that that would just actually increase his support because it just goes to his rhetoric where he said it was a witch hunt. And he's already been proven right about Russiagate. They were wrong about that. Um, so I think that it, it's, it's going to be wild. Then on top of that, we have two people primary challenging Joe Biden. Um I think the last time this happened was when Ted Kennedy primary challenged Jimmy Carter and Ted Kennedy messed up during the interview when he was asked, like, why do you want to be president? And Ted Kennedy really like fumbled that shit. But on top of that, Ted Kennedy also, you know, he, he, he killed the fucking woman. <laughs> okay. Like, let's just be real. Like, this motherfucker was drunk driving, drove the car into a fucking lake, and then what is bad, when I say he killed that woman, he killed that motherfucking woman because he got his ass out that car and he let her drown. And by the way, when the 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 medical team did the autopsy, they said she didn't drive, she didn't um actually die from drowning. She died from suffocation, which means that she was trying to breathe the air in the car. So she suffocated. That was how she died, which means that, and they, they said this, if you watch like the documentary about Chappaquiddick, they talk about how if they had been called, if he would have called the police or the ambulance that night, they could have saved her. He called them the next day. He went back to the house, went to sleep, act like nothing happened and then called them later so that woman's life could have been spared and the kennedys don't like to talk about that shit but i'll talk about it they're not my family and so the thing is is like people need to need to venture that so that he had that against him and then the fact that he didn't he couldn't even answer why he wanted to be president so that's the issue but i think that uh 2024 is definitely going to be wild let's bring in um noel real quick 
I think um, 2024 is shaping up to be um, a tumultuous set of circumstances, but um, I don't know. I, what I appreciate about this whole framing is that Dr. West is attempting to reframe essentially the American narrative. And I think that is what is absolutely necessary to shake some people loose, um, to have people realize that we really are interconnected. And as the masses go, so does the nation. And if we don't wake up and get involved in our body politic in a whole different way, it is a done deal. And I think the forces are going to, you know, manifest to censor Dr. West to whatever degree they can. And to the degree that they can't just censor him, they will attempt to marginalize him. There will be attempts at character assassination and, you know, make him seem like he's some kook, like they're trying to do RFK. They're going to you know, hold no bars, and then they're going to do the scare tactics that, oh, a vote for Cornell is a vote for Trump and this and that. Because what they're afraid of is that people will recognize that Biden and Trump are more alike than they're unalike. But I am praying that this reframing of the American narrative resonates with people. And, and I am particularly interested in seeing how he reaches out to Trump America, because that is a that is a tight wire rope to walk because some of Trump's most avid um, followers are as as much invested in a status quo that includes white supremacy and white privilege as they are anything else. And so it'll be interesting to see how this um, black scholar and public intellectual speaks to that group and see if it will resonate in the same way that Trump's racist pandering did. You know, and we can't lose sight of that as we attempt to assess the Trump presidency and those years. He spoke a very racialized and polarizing narrative. And in this day and age, when our diversity is probably as deep as it's ever been and people are standing up for themselves and saying it's no longer okay to oppress me, then we have a real type of volatile set of circumstances. And I think America in mass needs to find its ethical and moral center and not just stand on the sidelines and say, oh, I got minds, my life is good. I, you know, it doesn't apply to me. The people who are cis heterosexual need to see the bigotry that's being targeted to the LGBT community as a part of America that they do not want their kids to grow up in. You know, we do. And what has been the secret in the sauce in America is we have had this you know, messaging and narrative about land of the brave and home of the free and all of this crap, while at the same time, we were oppressing people in ways that are just unacceptable. And until we come to terms and look in that mirror and say, despite all of the things that they have said, this is who we are. This is what we have allowed these people to do in our name.
And we have to wake up and own that and push for differences, even if they don't represent us per se, because you're creating the context in which everybody will have to live. And either we're going to go go in together, we're going to fall in together, or we're going to fall apart. And that's, I think the stakes cannot be higher um, in terms of what it is we need to awaken ourselves to. And that is this republic is in a dire free fall. And, and if you think you're going to be spared or saved, and, and if you are not a billionaire, you are deluding yourself because what they've done for me, they're going to do for you. And you need to see that coming. That's right, Noel. Well said. I, I think that Noel, before um, he goes out to Trump country and sees how he talks to them, I think it might be wise to see how he talks to us and I'm, I'm talking about the younger than 50 uh, black community because it's like, I have a feeling that he might be falling along the same type of thinking that, you know, like kind of taking them for granted and kind of like what I was saying before, black people under 50 are seeing the mistakes that their parents made and they're making an affirmative, uh, 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 putting their best foot forward and I think they're going to be like, hey, wait a minute, before you go over there, talk to us first. And and like I was saying before, they're making an affirmative approach of saying, we want reparations. We want this. We want that. And like I said, they're becoming single issue voters. And, you know, single issue voters are, uh, are very, like I said, unique because they're just like, nope, don't care about anything else. We want this. They're very focused and, and all of that. And when he starts talking all, all of this stuff about, hey, let's come together, you know, and this, that, that, this and thing. I mean, I'm not even thinking about how that would look be looked at as in Trump country. I'm looking at how will the black people under 50 take that when they've heard that all the, all their lives and all their parents' lives saying, yeah, come on, we all got to come together and whatever, whatever. And they've seen the history about how we always get the short end of the stick. So they may not be falling for the whole, this whole universal thing that, that, you know, Dr. West is talking about. That's just, you know, something to keep in mind. Uh, I would like to piggyback what Roger was saying. Um, being a, a person that I'm 38 and I'm black American, Haitian descent. Uh, he's at, Roger's absolutely right. And I think, one thing that we that I'm starting to look at is since Obama, right? Before him, people used to compare him to Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and the way he was an orator and speak. And I think since Obama, probably um, Cornel West is the like the next person like that's going up to the mantle. I would say that has all of this like. Almost everything that you would say that draw you to the Bernie Sanders wing of whatever, of like the 40 years of him fighting for people, like Cornell Wells did that, right? And he's a black man doing that. And he came from um, meager memes and all this other stuff. So I think 
that this presidential run goes beyond the election. Like he could put an organization up where how what you know Martin you um uh, I mean Malcolm was going to try to do when he came back from a Mecca or what um the poor people poor uh was it the P- poor people campaign that Martin Luther King was going to do before yeah. he died like like there there are things like those are things that those great black leaders right before something was going to happen or what Fred Hampton was about to do with the Rainbow Coalition like that's when the CIA and all the other like the al- alphabet suit people came and said okay if this next step happens then things are going to change right and that's when they took him out um i think from some and i've like almost every day i like listen to a lot of his speeches or a lot of his like interviews it seems like Cornel West realized at this point in his life that i don't think he cares about what happens to him, which that is a, like, I remember reading something where he says, where it says like he wears like the clothing that he wears is for him to be prepared for the day that he dies. Like, like that's how he wants to be put in his cast. Like, so that's a mentality when you have something like that, that you're like, I'm doing this shit no matter what. Like, if you shoot me or kill me or drug me or poison me, I'm ready, like, I'm ready to lay me down, right? Put me down six feet deep. And that type of mentality, I think that's what... Oh. Alex, you know, AOC don't have, like, all the leaders that we had in the last 5, 10, 15 years did not have that mentality where, like, I'm laying it down no matter what. And I think that can spark like, and, and, and multiply. And I understand what Roger, what you're saying as far as the ballot initiatives, but I think you have, there's a step before that because if people don't believe in government, if people don't believe in other people, that's not like you, you have to get the numbers. And I think hopefully it could go hand in hand where, you have someone like Cornell giving the inspiration to massive, like, like because of the internet, because of your podcast and like RBN and all the other part, like the technology gives it where we don't need corporate media anymore. Like you could literally, like he could do um, shows and like go from one place and one place to one place. And every little, every place has like a thousand followers here, a thousand followers here, maybe a million followers there. So there's a level of him having the capabilities and the technology that could start the uprising in a certain way. But I think people need to realize it's not about the presidency. It's about just shifting what you think is possible. Like what is the imagination? What can your like shatter the ceiling of what you think life can be? And I think if you start with capitalism and you start with all these other things that block us, that's when people when people realize, okay, the government is, is the government is not another entity. The government is what we make it. Like we can control the government if we get enough people to use it. And from a Marxist perspective, you realize that the government is probably the only thing that we can collectively dispense. 
lost your voice. I lost your voice. Go ahead, Brent. I know you've been waiting. No, it's all it's all right. I, I love um all this dialogue. I didn't expect it after I, I spoke, but I think for me, you know, I think Sabine, like I mentioned to you a couple of years ago, like I've never voted in any election ever for yeah, 30 years since being eligible, since being eligible. And I think the, I think the thing I love and hate the most is we have somebody whose family was assassinated, whose legacy, you know, uh, let's just say optically different than Cornell West and Cornell, they, they both seem quote unquote principled, you know, we're, we're a lot of months before push comes to shove. Um, I, I registered a Democrat so I could vote for Bernie in the primary in 2016 when I was living in Oregon at the time. I did that. And that is as far as I've ever gone with electoral politics. And, you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time. Um, and it's not even like, uh, ethnically based for us. It's just like, well, this is clearly not necessarily on the up and up. We've always felt that our whole lives. Um, we've had a lot of arguments with our family members and, um, you know, I, I, I hate to like reference Carlin cause everybody does it all the time. But like, I remember he says, I don't vote so I can complain. I didn't choose any of this shit basically. And, and I, I've always kind of resonated with that. And I think for me, the most formative electoral moment in my life that I can think of is Jesse Jackson's run in the primary. And I was like, how did this guy not win? Yeah. And I remember talking to my parents about it and I wasn't eligible to vote at that time. That was a long time ago. And I remember like, they didn't have what I felt was a solid answer. I'm like the guy that's going to be representative of the democratic party is garbage compared to what Jesse Jackson was saying and how I feel about humanity. And that like, that formed my interest in electoral politics forever. I kind of just wrote it off. I was like, so, so if you're nice and you want to advocate for people, you're done. No matter what Jesse Jackson's done since then, I felt like more or less that was his message when I was a kid. I was like, so if you're not for that and you're for everything else, I don't understand I don't want to participate. It's like playing a sporting, playing a sport, playing a sport where they can cheat and you have to just accept, you know? And so anyway, that's all I have to add to this, but uh, it's been great. I'm glad everybody's contribution. So I was just going to say, uh, Jesse Jackson. Um, I read um, Michelle Obama's book, um, Becoming. And, uh, she was actually friends with Jesse Jackson's daughter, one of his daughters. And um, that's actually why she was against Barack Obama running for office, because she saw what Jesse Jackson's family went through when he was running. Um, I've also heard some other things about Jesse Jackson. I don't have evidence to back this up. So just take this with a grain of salt. But I've, I've heard that Jesse Jackson was actually involved uh, in reference to selling out MLK. I've, I've read that numerous times. But again, I don't have evidence. So just keep that in mind. I'm going to bring in. Um, oh, go ahead, Brent, and I'll bring in Danny. No, that is super depressing. And whether it's true, not true, indifferent, like that's, 
it, but I, I would say we could all agree that that is, you know, like welcome to America, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, thank you. I'm done. That's great. Thank you for everybody's contribution. All right. Let's bring in Danny. Danny, what's up? Hey, thank you, Sabrina. Thank you. Danny, um, you got that red light on your picture, and it kind of reminds me of that TLC red light special. I wish. Cool. Thank you. That's that's flattering. Thank you. Um, I want to shoot my shot to Roger uh, because I live in Nassau County and uh, this conversation uh, touched me earlier and brought me up to the caller queue. And I figured, I guess, like, this was fate for me. I have to do this because I've, I've meant to do this previously, <laughs> but I'm just wasting time. So here I am, Roger. I live in Glen Cove and I think there is some really shady shit going on in the city of Glen Cove. And oh. I live in public housing and I believe my public housing authority has been wasting a lot of taxpayer money on themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, and the numbers are getting bigger. And yeah. So I would like to um, exchange like information. And there's also a lot of people here on call-in, a lot of whom are in this room right now that see each other regularly. And you have, um, a lot of so, uh, you, we want to get to know you guys. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, I guess. She, Danny said, she's Danny is like, we want to get to know you guys, and I'm gonna reframe that. Give you the red light <laughs> all through the night. All yours. <laughs> I'm. That is so cool. <laughs> I'm silly, Danny. Go ahead, uh, Roger. I'm trying to figure out how to... Uh, oh, I think I found it. Okay, I'm putting my... my in, in using this chat thing in like the private message thing in, in this call-in thing. So I'm just going to send you my uh, Twitter thing. I uh, can even put mine... I'll give you my email right now. I don't use Twitter. I'm not going to, um, my bed. I mean, I couldn't make an, I have an account, but I really, I don't use it. It's not like a, if you have anything else, email, which okay, I'm sure would probably I'm in front of the nice. computer right now. What is it? Uh, U-P-T-O-P. -P. Oh, you're going too fast. U-T-P. No, no, stop. Okay. U. P T O P up top. Up top? Oh, okay. All the guys who tune in are like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> At, uh, up top. Um, At four two seven dot uh -huh. studio. Uh-huh. Oh. That's it. Okay. That's it? Yes. Okay. 
I'll put high. Thank you. Um. Uh, one more Say thing. Say hi to Shanti for me. I that was also a thought, but it, and I will if I speak to her now after now speaking to you and knowing that you want me to say hi to her, I would do that if I see her, if if I ever contact her. But I don't. In case anybody doesn't know, that's where Shanti from Murder Inc. was from, Glen Glen Cove. I mean, she shot a video here, so maybe she owes some kind of retribution. Perhaps maybe she should make. She should make Glen Cove popular again. Okay. What about your friends? Will they be okay? No, you gotta you have to you gotta sing a shanty. Stand your ground. Will they turn their backs on you? Sorry, Danny, you got me in TLC vibes now because the whole red light in your picture. That album is one of the most memorable albums it was my it was one of my first let's say like my first five cds and somebody like asked this question recently even and they're in this room um uh yeah uh but that album was like my first on cd album isn't it like everything let me tell you guys something okay i wasn't even like in high school yet like when tlc came out but T. Oh, we. Yeah, I lost she you. went out. Believe it or not, I was shy, and I had stage fright. And TLC, like they came out and like they gave me like the type of like motivation I needed to like bring me out of a bubble, like bring me out of my shell. And so like TLC came out and like I saw these girls. And they had on like baggy clothes and they had like band-aids and condoms on their shirts and shit. And they didn't give a fuck what anybody thought about them. And they were just like, look, we're going to talk about safe sex and all this shit. Kind of remind me of like salt and pepper a little bit, but salt and pepper was older, but TLC was younger. And they were just like, we're going to talk about these things. And we're going to talk about your friends. We're going to talk about people cheating. And we're going to talk about like, the AIDS epidemic, like don't go chasing like waterfalls. They talked about that. And I was just like, oh my God. Like when they first came out and they had that song, um, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, that was the first time I saw like a group of black women saying, look, we're not ashamed of saying that, yes, we like sex and it is what it is. Before that, it was Madonna. Okay, this is my generation. I'm a millennial. So before that, it was Madonna and everybody knew that was Madonna shit. But then like it was a group of black women who came out and said, we're not afraid about that. And you know what was cool about TLC? TLC kept their clothes on. They were not like half naked. They weren't like partially dressed. They had on baggy clothes and they told you how they felt about sex and they didn't apologize for it. And I was like, damn. And so TLC taught me at an early age that you can still be considered to be sexy and not show your body. Thank you. Learning lesson. The more you know. <laughs> hey, can you hear me now or no? Hey, Case, we can hear you. <laughs> Sorry, Case, you had to hear all that. 
my blue nah no problem i don't know what happened to my bluetooth uh whatever because i was cracking jokes i was talking and nobody was responding to me i thought i was like off tonight i was like man my jokes are not hitting tonight and then when he <laughs> calls me up <laughs> and i started talking like oh i guess he's not here and i'm like oh my my bluetooth was off this whole damn time here cracking jokes thinking that i'm corny or something but uh yeah i, I made a joke <laughs> I made a joke on Roger. I'm like, man, who needs the CIA infiltrators if you got Roger telling all your business out here trying to, you know, expose you? <laughs> with your, your, um, your, your insider stuff with the, what you were working on with the chapter, RV and chapter. But anyway, I, I just I have a couple of things. I'm, I'm all backed up from all the stuff I wanted to talk about real quick. So Bob Johnson, he was the BET founder that I was talking about before that he wanted, he wanted to create a third party that would be interesting if Cornell West can... Um, get him to help him out and then uh new york city accent so i, I work at a help desk and i've gotten that a couple of times people say oh you're from new york <laughs> i'm like yeah it's, it, somehow they can pick up my accent and then um we was talking about our revolution what was the oh i think we was talking about how bernie sanders just totally abandoned you know the movement and i would say that uh wait can't you hear me still so make sure yeah Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. I'm paranoid about that now. Um, so yeah, I, he, he was talking about, um, he, he created our revolution, which was supposed to be like, you know, how Obama created, um, I forgot, what was that called? He, he had his own uh, group when he was running for office, but then when he got into office, he totally turned, like told that, disbanded. Obama the, for America? Obama for America. Thank you so much. And then, but Bernie, he started our revolution after he didn't win in 2016. But then the problem with our revolution is now they became pragmatic progressives where they're literally endorsing people who endorsed Hillary over Bernie back in, in the day. I remember there's a Louisiana um, case where that happened. Gary, um, I forgot the guy's a big uh, black dude that ran for office and the our revolution in St. Louis endorsed the person that was for Hillary over the person that endorsed Bernie. So that's how I don't know. I was just going to give y'all a chance to introduce y'all to some new music y'all probably haven't heard before. Y'all like the way that sounds? Brady, can we like case finish real quick? Okay. Brady, just go cut me off. Brady will be, look, look, if you go to the bar, I bet if you go to a bar with Brady, Brady will be a guy to cock block like a mofo. Ah! Conversation going great. Here comes Brady swooping and be like, I want you to hear this song, motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Oh my goodness, Brady. All right. Much love to you, though. Um, yes. The last I'm thing trying to I'm look for a good place to jump in. I can't tell when. <laughs> I, I'm going to be done in one moment. Um, the last thing we, we talked about, MLK. Now, what, what, I, I put a note there for MLK, but I forgot what the reference was. Oh, he was talking about Jesse Jackson and um, and all that stuff. The, the reason why I brought I, I wrote down MLK, I, I, always, I always thought about this. I haven't heard this talked about in too many different places. How in the world did the assassin know that MLK was going to be on a balcony? Like, mad random. So this is where my conspiracy theory comes in. First of all, I heard that he was supposed to be at another hotel and then somebody suggested this hotel. So whoever suggested that hotel should be suspect. And then whoever called MLK out to the balcony is another person that's suspect. Because like, 
somebody straight up set up set up MLK, and I heard I heard the same thing you heard Savvy about. Um, yeah, it was Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I see Jesse still alive, you know, and he was there. Mm, yeah, he, he, I don't think he positioned him. Hmm. He positioned him in that. I was I was wow. told that too. I, I read I read that too. Um, some things about Jesse actually. Um, you know, Kay Cynthia McKinney. She's mm-hmm. talked about this a couple times too. Interesting. What did she say? She said that Jesse Jackson set MLK up. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That was the, you know that was the big that's, that's how Malcolm X passed too. It was a, a, a basically people set him up within the um, nation of Islam. That of yep. course that I just recently read an excellent um, book on Malcolm X's life, not the autobiography, but I think it's called The Dead or Rising, and it it, it talks it, it totally reveals like there were five people that were involved in his death. Like it, this reporter did an excellent job just investigating all the details. Like I'm like they need to be a new movie on Malcolm X because it's very juicy and it reveals literally everything how he died, the people that were involved, uh, and. It, it, we could talk about that for another hour, but I'm gonna give the mic back because I know Bray. Oh, yes, Bray. Case, huh? Okay, so case, let me just really, oh, re- really quick, Roger, because I want to make sure I get Jonathan and then Haitian J, and then I'm gonna peace out. All right, now I was just gonna say, um, if you saw the uh, so before he died, like I don't know, I think it was in the 90s, probably close to when the Malcolm X movie came out. I don't know if you ever saw what's his name, um, Dick Gregory give that speech. Um, like you saw Al Sharpton in, in like in the audience, not in the audience, but in the back, you know, like he was at a podium and Al Sharpton, I think Jesse Jackson, some others were in the back of him. But he said that we did a FOIA request for, um, to see like the autopsy report for Malcolm X. And they said that in this, in this FOIA request report or whatever, the bullets came from in a downwards position, not an upwards position. So he was saying that, well, who shot him then? Because a downwards position means that somebody was behind some walls up top shooting down and the Muslims were shooting up. So they must have had blanks. So you might want to, I don't know if you, if you saw that, that, that speech. I, I got it. I, I never heard yeah. that one. But I heard this book talked about the five. Um, anyway, I don't want to go. I know Sammy's about to. Yeah, um, I, 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 wrap it up. But just check it oh. out though. It, it was it was made public through a FOIA request that that okay. Dick Gregory did. Interesting. Yeah. What? So let's bring in um, Jonathan. Jonathan just got to unmute. Hello, everyone. Actually, I thought Roger, what you were going to say was. Did Greg, there's, I think it's still on YouTube. There's a video where Greg, Greg, Dick Gregory was talking. And in the video, a man, it wasn't Jesse Jackson, it was somebody else. A man was explaining that he moved out the way so there could be a clear shot to King. Now, I don't remember who the guy's name was. And I don't think it was Shuttlesworth, but it was some brethren that was there. So, you know, because you know, Dick Gregory, he didn't play like he did his research. Okay. He, I mean, he rest in peace. But yeah, I remember that. But what you said about the shots coming downward, I've heard that before too. Oh. That, yeah, the, the ballistics, yeah, I've heard that too. Um, 
Um, I agree with Noelle when she said about 2024 and what everyone said about 2024. It is going to be something else. It, we're going to be in for a ride with that. It's going to be wild. Um, yes. My only issue is, and she said this too, and I think you said this, Abby, is this the, as Nick would call the Trump derangement syndrome. It's like, it doesn't matter what Biden did or his son did or how bad an ineffective a president he is. It's still going to be like, well, Trump, 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 Trump. It doesn't, it's like, and, and I don't even post things politically on social media because it's always, but Trump, but Trump. But I know people who are going to vote for Trump because solely the fact that, hey, we got more money when he was the, pre when he was the president than Biden. We got our wealth. My business actually did pretty well when it was under Trump as a black owned business. And people look at that and no one wants to talk about, it, but oh, he's so bad. He's a, and don't get me wrong. Trump is bad, but it's, it's people are over the whole lesser of two evils argument. I know I'm over it. I am personally, I am, of course, I'm going to support Cardinal West. My aunt, I was talking to her last week. Um, she did not know that Cardinal West was running for president. And when I told her at first, she thought I was saying like, oh, you know, hypothetical. Then I was like, oh, no, he's actually running for president. She said, oh, he has my vote. There are people who know Cornell West and know his integrity, and they're going to support him. And I'm, like I said, 2024 is going to be something else. Um, I do want to talk about one thing that you um, talked about on your show. I accidentally fell asleep um, during the show, so I had to go back and watch um, most of it. But I did um, catch when you talked about college. Um, as you know, I told, well, I said this to um, Colin, but he wasn't paying attention. I actually gave my notice to my employer that I'm not renewing my contract. And when my employer, well, my executive director was like, well, why are you not renewing your contract? I said, plainly, I'm leaving teaching altogether. I'm done. And one reason why I'm leaving is to hold me out for reasons like the list goes on and on. But one thing is that I cannot in good conscience be a part of this, this system that tells kids, oh, go to college, go to college, you know, to, to, I guess, do something after high school. When I know it's a setup for failure, I know kids are going to college. First of all, uh, the college tuition, I mean, the enrollment has gone down for like public universities. But it's gone up. It has actually gone up for the applications that um, causes to be given for like private school. Sorry, Ivy League schools and the top tier schools. They've actually gone up. So now they're becoming more and more competitive. And there are actual jobs out. Actually, jobs out here that will not hire you unless you went to a top tier school, which to me is another form of discrimination. But because um, it doesn't matter because most of these kids who go to a top tier school don't know shit anyway. Um, they just got in because, you know, mommy and daddy had money or their legacy or whatever, not necessarily for their intellect, like Jared Kushner, George Bush, I could go on. Um, but I cannot be a part of that system anymore. I cannot, in good conscience, tell the kids, oh, go to college. And because I keep rolling, like, okay, do you think you're ready for college? Do you have the grades for it? If you don't, you need to look into something else because college is not the way it is now. And the kids actually know that. They see their parents struggling with student loan debt, or they went to college and didn't finish, or they went to college, finished, and they're still struggling to pay bills, still struggling to pay rent. And now with this whole student moratorium being lifted for student debt relief, that's going to throw a whole nother curveball 
because as we know, the interest rates start, the interest starts in September and the payments start again in October. And I don't know what the Biden plan, Biden camp has in plan, but they have to do something quick because if they, if they lose an election, I think it's going to be the majority because of not only not giving people the checks, but also not falling through with his promise when it came to student um, debt relief. And um, one more thing, Sabby. A scrub is a guy that thinks he's fly, is also known as a buster. Always oh, talking about what he goes and just sits on his broke ass. Sits on his broke ass. So, no, no, I don't I want, want your you number. number. No, I, I hate I love for that. You <laughs> I don't Roger, want you probably I don't too, want none of your time. You're young to do remember this, but at that time, Scrubs was a song, no Scrubs, and Bills, Bills, Bills. Those are the two major hit songs. This is 1990. I know the, the, 99, the, 99. Sorry. Go ahead. The 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 the, the hate the hate guy song. <laughs> That's true. Really That's very very true. At that point, it was really popular at that point in time. And JB and I talked about this recently. And I looked back on it and I was like, that was capitalism to its fucking finest. Because if you look back <laughs> on it, like. When in the scrub song, when they were like, if he he if he is sitting in his pass, if you're sitting on the passenger side of his best friend's ride, I'm like, I'm like, okay, maybe maybe that guy is trying to save up to get a car. Nobody said that. TLC didn't say Uh... that. They sang the songs that were written for them. Listen, until you've been in that situation, you just don't fucking know. Like I know what it's not like, what it's like to not have a car. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like I had to save up to like get a, a used vehicle, um, which I bought from my dad. It was my mom's old car. Like my dad was like, I'll be honest with you guys, like my parents were middle class, but my parents were not like, we're just gonna give you a car. You have to work for it. That's how my parents were. They taught me to be that way. And so I had to work for it. And so the thing is like maybe there were other there are guys out there who had to do the same thing and this idea that like just because a guy is a guy and he should automatically have these things because he's a guy you don't know where he's coming from the situation the financial situation that he's coming from maybe he has to save up to get that car maybe he has to save up to get that apartment maybe he's living with his parents right now because he's saving up to get a house you never know and that was the thing about that song i look back on it as I got older and I'm like, yeah, that was kind of fucked up. But during that time, that was popular. It was popular for Destiny's Child to tell people, can you pay my bills? Can you pay the telephone bill? Sabrina. We can chill. I don't think you do. (laughs) But Sabrina, (laughs) you gotta understand that was coming out of the, the, the 80s and into the 90s where the sisters were all like, you know, like materialistic. And there were, if, if anyone here is old enough to remember, um, ain't nothing going on but the rent. You know what I mean? Like, my mom you, got told a me. you got to have a J-O-B if you want to be with me. No folk, no romance without finance. Exactly. So that that's where all of that came from. But Sabrina, check this out. This was this was my song. Ah, oh, ah, you hear it? You can't just sing it around like everybody. Barely. 
Oh God, no pigeons. That song is stupid. <laughs> that song was such a bad comeback. I just had to play that real quick. That is <laughs> yeah, and that and guess what, Roger? That song never caught on either. It did not because when guys tried to do it, story. it was like, yeah, it, it didn't have the same effect. Now it's just like now nah, because nope, because work. apparently in pop culture it's okay to insult men, but you cannot insult women. And let me tell you something. Yes, you can. Girl, except for except for okay, sorry. Except for <laughs> Gold Digger. Oh, oh, uh, West. She take yeah. money. But here's the thing, in my 20 plus years of experience in dating, there, I mean, there are some guys out there that are really trying and there's some certain circumstances, you know, like you said, Savvy, but then there are those who are just trifling. Like, it's like, no, you, you, it's the opinion of the song. You really are not doing anything with your life. You're not even trying. Like I've been there. I'm like, you know what? You're not trying. You're not doing anything. You just, you are a scrub. Thank you. Have a nice day. I'm done. So, no, those <laughs> people do exist in the world. I'm sorry they do. I did that one time. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. At one point, I said, yeah, you got to go. Bye. See you. Like, the, I liked, those I liked it better. I liked it better when TLC was like, when they said they, you know, eat too proud to beg. Right. And when, when they I were like, when own, they said, what about you? your friends? Uh, and what about your friends? Like, for those of you who don't like R&B, just read the lyrics about what, for what about your friends? Because that is very true. Like, what about your friends? Are they going to be around, you know, when you're going to be low down? Like, that. that's very true. And like, and Left Eye was so fucking lit. Like, yes. I don't know if I told you guys, but like, yes. Me and my friends, like we did, we're still, I still talk to them today, but like me and my friends, we were in middle school. We did a talent show. There was a talent show contest. I did talent shows all the time, but we performed like TLC song and we like killed it. We didn't win. We got second place, but like we like killed it. And I remember my friend, like Paola, her dad was like, her dad came up and was like, you girls are the best. I don't care what anybody say, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> All I gotta say is we need a song about what about your UBI <laughs> universal basic income. <laughs> oh, what about your UBI? Red Light so Special is like the best song. I mean, one of the best like get you in the mood song. And actually, piggyback on the TLC. I think when I was younger. Red Light Special was the first time when I see like a group of black women like wearing lingerie. Like, you know, usually when you see like sexy scenes, they're like super half naked, like whatever. It's like they have, yeah. so I do agree with you where like they did not in as much as others. Yeah, Mine was, mm-hmm. I mean, was salt and pepper, but okay. I thought one they did it for before. Well, actually, mine no. It was actually little Kim. No, little. Okay, no, no. Little TLC was before little Kim. Never mind. Little Kim Listen, was a whole different. I'll give props to Salt and Pepper because the first time I ever saw them in concert, it was fucking free. They did free concert here in Boston, and it was a part of a barbecue festival. And Salt and Pepper came out on the stage, 
and they were just like, shops, push it. I was like, oh, snap. You didn't like the movie? I was about to say, if you saw, if you loved them, no. you watched the movie. The movie was horrible. I fell asleep during the movie. No. I was <laughs> that really was like those women. Okay. I like, no, I'm going to be very clear. Lifetime <laughs> needs to stop making movies Agreed. about black musicians. They fuck this shit up every time. Not they messed up the Whitney Houston movie. Well, the Clarkson now we'll say good. I will say I I will say um Yaya Tacosta does look more like Whitney Houston. I will definitely say that the script sucked, but she does look more like her. The new Whitney Houston movie that I just watched, where the woman who plays Whitney Houston is way shorter than Whitney Houston, her face is way more rounder than Whitney Houston, and it was obvious to me that like I'm like. This is this is not cool. And the woman who played Whitney Houston is British, and we're gonna be real about. I'm gonna be real about this for a second. That woman didn't look a damn thing like Whitney Houston. I don't care what wig you put on her head. Yaya DaCosta gave the most resemblance to Whitney Houston because she had the height and she had like the the figure, and her face was shaped like Whitney's face. The script was just bad. So there was that. Then they fucked up the Aaliyah movie, damn you, Lifetime. <laughs> they fucked that shit up, too. How you messed that up? I thought that was a Come comedy. Come like, This is funny. Like, I didn't think any... I was... This is not... This is funny. How are you going to cast Missy Elliott as a light-skinned woman and Tim Lynn as a Puerto Rican? What? Well, Puerto Rican-ish. I, I didn't see that. I didn't watch that. That really? Wow. It, it's bad. I gotta check that one out. That sounds crazy. It's 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 pretty bad. Like they really messed up the Aaliyah movie. Well, you know. But that's what happens when the family is not involved in the the making of the movie. So, like for example, the Selena movie was so great because the family was involved. So when they picked J Lo to play Selena, that shit made sense. Like the, the family was involved and they were like, this is what Selena would do and this is how she would move. So when you make these movies and the family is not involved, this is what you end up with. I heard the, um, the, Fred, the Fred Hampton movie that came out recently, um, the, his son and, the, and, the, and his uh, partner was involved in, in putting that together well. So I don't know if you guys have seen it or what's your thoughts about that one too. I just Yeah, um you mean the Judas and Messiah? Yeah, the Jew Jew Black Jews no uh Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. That was really, really good. Although Fred Hampton's son, uh he did us wrong at RBN. He he really did us wrong. He's apparently not like his dad. Um same thing with MLK the third. Oh, he's not like MLK. Dad. The like, third is the worst. He's a grifter. They're not anti-capitalist. Anti like they're just fucking like liberals and shit. Damn it. Yep. I I heard. Um. I think. Um. Um. Adolf Reed was like doing an interview with Brianna and made a joke about MLK the third and said like. Oh, um, you had an interview with him? Did you like check your purse? And he's like, why? He's like, yeah, he grips. Like he he'll steal your money like right in front. Like some weird joke. I was like, wow, like he has not no street like no street cred. Like black community does not. 
No. Who, who was that? My bad. Who, who don't they like? Um, Martin Luther King the Third. Like, uh, like Adel oh, Reed. I've seen him in different interviews say that he's like, he's just a money maker grifter. Like he will, like if the Democrat Party or whoever or CNN calls him and they're like they go to pay him. What about Dexter? Who the other son? He says that a lot, a lot. He doesn't. He it's only the only people that you see is um, the third and Bernice. That's it. Dexter. In fact, I think Dexter was the one who was trying to keep his father's stuff, and the other two were trying to sell it all. I think it was those two who were trying to sell it. Yeah, because Dexter's oak seems a little bit more uh, down to earth. And also, sadly, that's what I always got. Also, Sabby, if you notice, I'm sorry to get off top, but I'm going to go back to MLK III for a minute. But if you ever notice, any movie that has Whitney Houston, the person never looks like... Okay, you know who Deidre um, McKinney is from Real Housewives and Tyler Perry plays? Light-skinned woman? Yeah. She played Whitney Houston in the Bobby Christina movie. She looks nothing like Whitley, Whitney, but she had... But every actress always has their mannerism, her mannerisms down. So it's never the look. It's always can she can they act like Whitney, which is not that hard to do. Because remember when Deborah Wilson used to do it on Mad TV, which was <laughs> I'm not going to go there. And she said that she wasn't acting like Whitney. She was just acting erratic in general, but she wasn't acting like Whitney. So she says. And oh, MLK the third, him and Andrew Young and Killer Mike were part of that whole. Greenwood project thing that they're trying to say like it's a black owned bank, but it wasn't a bank. It was more like a a third party, but it was a they have the bank that owns is actually a white owned bank. MLK was a part of that and he was paid him and Andrew Young were paid like a million dollars to push that shit out. I believe that's correct me if I'm wrong. If anybody remembers that. That you know what that sounds like? When Jay Z was um out here to, telling everybody on Hot 97 uh, that he was um, a part owner, like he's responsible for bringing the Barclays to Brooklyn. And he really had a very small percentage less of than ownership. In, in or a, less than 1% or less than 0.1%. Yeah, it was really small. And then he ended up selling it anyway. It, yeah, but he, he had... But he had all of like hip hop New York thinking, oh wow, yo, Jay Z, he's you know, I mean, now maybe he could do that now, but back then, he had people thinking, oh, oh wow, Jay Z's making moves. He he's he owns the Barclays. I had to say, oh, in, hey, in Roger, case anybody don't know, go ahead. Can Sam. I ask you a question, Roger? Uh, are you are you a fan of Jay? I'm a fan of his late '90s, early 2000s music. I only ask this because I find it difficult listening to his music. And I was like a huge fan. Like I would, you know, one of those guys that would talk about hip hop all day, but as you get older and you, I don't know what you are, are as far as political beliefs, but when I became a Marxist socialist, I can't listen to it. Like it's, it's black capital. It's, you know, when um, I was listening to, and I don't know if you guys ever listened to this, this resolution, um, the podcast, when someone came, I think it was either Adolf Reed or somebody else was saying that like hip hop is basically Reaganomics for black people. And when 
he when that person said that and I just went through my head and was like, is that real? Is that true? I, I, I can't even unthink it anymore because I think in the past like 30 years, it's basically that to a certain degree. Look how it grown. It, 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 it came up in the 80s, at least the the recording part. You know what I'm saying? The pre-recording part was the 70s, but as far as the recording part, it was New York City, downstate New York, 80s. You feel what I'm saying? So it wasn't really until once once you had, I mean, they was always talking about like cars and stuff like that, but it got real to its apex of capitalism in the late 90s. But you also have to, you also have to understand this. Um, you had acts like X Clan, Boogie Down Productions, you know, Allah KRS One. You had acts like Public Enemy, who were talking about, like, I didn't know anything about all these Black revolutionaries until Public Enemy came along. You know what I mean? Because I was, I wasn't e- either even born. I was too young to know. But they was talking about the H Rap Browns and the Huey P Newtons and the Fred Hamptons and 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 all of that. You know, KRS One was more of like pan-Africanism and talking about black history in terms of inventors and, you know, going back to Africa, kind of like a Marcus. Five percenters. Yeah. Well, five percent, that was kind of like really like rock him and a little bit of Big Daddy Kane, but definitely Wu-Tang Clan. They talk nothing but five percent nation of of Islam. But you also have to understand this because you was talking oh making sure i'm still here my phone went dark am i still here okay all right yeah so 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 you have to also remember this um do you got that do you have the um the video the youtube video of of um the guy who was told he was like an anonymous person and he was in the record industry um and he was talking about he was telling why hip hop went to gangster rap starting in the early nineties. Do you, do you know about that video? Um, um, you would have to be more specific because there's a okay, lot of I, videos I, like that. <laughs> so, so pretty much. Okay. So let me see if I can give the quick thing. Right. So pretty much what happened was in the late eighties, early nineties, you got to remember what was happening with hip hop when it was going anti-capitalist and they was talking that public enemy and all these people, and was talking about revolution. That this guy, this record producer guy, in the early '90s, and you got to remember what was going on in the early '90s. He got invited to some crazy mansion, okay, and he saw a whole bunch of other record producers there. And there was this guy who was speaking, and there was these people that was just staying silent. They was looking like they were security or something that was standing to the side, and they weren't saying anything. And every, each and every one of them had to sign some agreement that whatever they hear, they cannot speak about it once they leave here. So if you don't want to sign it, then you got to leave. So then the guy was talking about, um, he was talking about like private prisons. And he was just like, okay, well, what does that got to do with us? And he's like talking or whatever the case is. And he said, we want you to steal your rap artist to start talking about criminal behavior. Okay. So, you know, so because we, we pre- pretty much we're trying to build this new industry to, to lock people up. He didn't say it like that, but pretty much he was saying it like that. So you got to remember what was going on in the early 90s. OK, and when one of the guys objected, um, 
the, the those people who were standing to the side like rushed them and when they went to help them they flashed some guns okay and they just backed off and you know they like rushed them out of there or whatever and pretty much it was just a a a, a, a psyop to make uh new rap artists speak about criminal behavior gangster rap and, and all that stuff okay to to so this way you know they needed they need some 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 bodies to be put in prison to, to you know to get rich or whatever and this started in the early 90s and think about who was who was think about what congress was doing with with how to handle crime in in the early 90s and what was what was coming up and um you know and he said he would see these people from the uh from it throughout the years throughout the 90s he would see the, the people the other record executives who were there at these parties and they would just look at each other and just nod like yo we fucked this complete we fucked this entire industry up by by doing this and at the same time look who they pushed out they pushed out the krs ones they pushed out the public enemies where they they them in germany and all these other countries you see what i'm saying so there there was there was already a plan in place to bring in you know, like the Jay-Z's and, you know, you know, either you're talking about killing people or you're talking about uh, 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 being a kingpin drug dealer or or talk about materialism. I mean, yeah, materialism was always there with a lot of 80s hip hop. You know, I got a color TV so I could play the Knicks, watch the Knicks play basketball and all that stuff. But it really got hyped up and came to its apex in the late 90s, you know, so um but yeah, you should you should check you should uh, check that out. I could put it in the chat. Matter of fact, that particular uh, YouTube joint. Holler, holler! Anybody that's ready to get dollar dollars, it's murder. It's murder. <laughs> Remember Murder Inc. Yes. Does anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Watch everybody? the documentaries. Documentaries that um Ashanti did participate in. Yes. Ashanti was like. Ashanti was awesome and like she's disappeared. She was awesome she when she had yeah. collaborations as a solo artist. It was like, because I remember when she came out, it was like, oh, because when she did the collabs with Ja Rule and Fat Fat Joe, it's like, oh my God, this girl's awesome. Then when she did a solo album, I'm like, this is what she sounds, this, this is what we've been hyped about. This? Oh, baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> like, my dear said, oh, shut up, baby. Like, ooh, just uh, her voice is just, ooh, she. Have you seen these clips of her singing and her mouth is like open wide and it's like, wait, people are going through her catalog. Okay, what song does she have to open her mouth up that wide? She she's not a vocalist. Like Ashanti's not legendary for nothing. Like she does great collabs, but no, she's just Nelly's side thing and that's it. That's all I know her as. She growing up. Wow, that's that's a lot of hate to uh, Ashanti. Not know for she has a. She has some hit songs, though. You know, I wouldn't. I agree. She's not a vocally like you're not gonna put her next to a Whitney Houston, and that's my Patty LaBelle, Mariah Carey. That's my standard. Like I don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I like. I like Layla Hathaway. I like Mary J. Blige, but they know their limits. I mean, Ashanti's cool and cute, but just like Aaliyah didn't do anything for me either. I'm like, okay, this is cute. No. <gasps> What? <laughs> You're about to give Savvy a, a heart attack. He lost the. What? She, 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 Aaliyah didn't do. Aaliyah 
She has an ID, but she doesn't have a. She didn't. She came in with with Star Search. Like she just was not. Jonathan. A lot of people did Star Search. Let's be real, Jonathan. Aaliyah had one of the most unique voices ever. Not really, because I'm gonna have to agree with Jonathan. Thank you. What? Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mind <laughs> you, I grew up in the era of Dion Warwick, Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight. So I'm used to people who could really sing. Yes, ma'am. And when yeah. those voices would come across the radio, we knew instantly who it was. When you get to that era of Beyonce, Janet Jackson, these bubblegum singers. Who really in the back in the back in the day they would have been the backup bunnies. Cause you have to be and the true test of a vocalist is you have to be able to sing a standard and put your signature on it. All what of this whining and stuff these little girls were doing. I'm like, child, go somewhere and be in the background with the background bunnies. Yes, ma'am. But I grew up with the I grew up with Whitney Houston. Mariah you better Harris. say like I like I grew up those were the I grew up in the era when when every artist had to be Whitney Sands. So you had uh Faith Evans, um Deborah Cox, all them people like you had to be a best standard. If you wasn't there, then you wasn't, you know, I mean Mary Well, well, John, well Jonathan Jonathan Noel what one question I would ask is because I, I'm a music lover as well, but I feel like there's a range that you could have like there's a Luther Vandross who's arguably one of the greatest vocalists, but then there's like Marvin Gaye who Marvin Gaye was a great vocalist, but he didn't, he's not blowing. Like he's just different. Like he's the one that's like setting up kind of like you could even make a direct line between what Drake does now to like what Marvin Gaye did in the back in the day. So there's a level where like, you don't have to be a vocalist, but if you could, vocal arrange your your voice to sound a certain way in your message that also plays a part and i think that's what Aaliyah did i think that's what janet jackson did that's what you know a lot of these other people does now i agree with a with ashanti because i've seen ashanti perform multiple times i think the one thing same similar to like chris brown i think the one thing you have to do is you have to be able to perform your songs like it has to sound and chris brown mostly lip syncs throughout his whole performance. Like, you're not hearing him live. It's not like Usher where I, I watched, I saw Usher, where did I see him? In the Dreamville earlier this year. And you could hear him breathing. You could hear him, like, singing and performing where a lot of these other artists are just lip singing and they're just lip singing whatever they recorded on, on in the studio. So I think that is a, that's my line. But see what happened. But I feel is, like you should be able to perform. We went from the real singers, vocalists, and artists to performers. And so once we came out of the 70s, 80s, that next generation were just performers. It was more about the dance, the this and the that. But in my era, you had to be able to stand by a piano by your damn self and belt that thing out. And that was the standard of a true vocalist, a true artist. These other people came with all this arranging and dancing. And, you know, I'm like, child, whatever. Go somewhere and sit down. So you consider Marvin Gaye a vocalist? Can I just just say Aaliyah 
Aaliyah sang falsetto, guys. That's not easy to do. Like, Aaliyah sang Moore does, does falsetto perfectly. Have you ever heard her sing Loving You? you but she doesn't are... give the, the type of reverence that she should get. And she's a way better singer than Aaliyah. Way better. Who? You, you, Who? Shantae Moore. Don't you? Oh, no, she didn't. Yeah. You don't know Shantae Moore? Yeah, I know, I know Shantae Moore. Shantae's got a man. Like, the most but right, but, song I've ever heard in my life. No, I know who she is because my my parents, you know, they 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 rock with it. But I'm just saying, like, Aaliyah was 15 years old. She was 15. So was Brandy and Monica, but they are different. See, here's no, my... no, 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 no. Brandy's vocal, Brandy's look. I think I would Brandy never call the vocal Bible, songs. but I definitely think she vocal. Her vocals Brandy... are different. Brandy has some good songs, but Brandy couldn't do no falsetto. Brandy, Brandy has some good songs, but Brandy's vocal talent compared to Aaliyah's was very different. Aaliyah was 15 years old. Whitney Houston like was singing old... better than that when she was in church before she right. was 15. That's, that's true. Yes, she you're, you're right. You, no, well, you're right. But like, we're talking about like in the 90s, like at that point in time, the new artists. There was no Whitney Houston type yes, was, uh, artist. Was, there still isn't even today. But what I'm Mariah saying is that 90s, caliber Deborah of Cox. vocalist and artist was always available. But by the 90s, the people who were getting the contracts were the ones who were easier to manipulate, who, you know, because they had less talent. So you could throw anything at them and say, oh, sing this. You know, you weren't going to have those artistic differences where people are saying, wait a minute, that's out of my wheelhouse. That's not the best song for me or this or that or blah, blah, blah. You know, Stephanie Mills was a hell singer, but she didn't get the play that I think she deserved because it was just about vocalist. more commercialization. No, you're she right. You're right. I, and, I, and I totally get that. Um I will say I want to bring in um Danny and then I got to head out, but I, I want to go make sure Danny gets a chance to speak. But I do want to say that, like, I totally get where you guys are coming from um, musically. And I think one thing it does show is that over time. Talent in the music, the musical industry has started to decline. I was like, they're, they, they, they're not looking for Whitney Houston. They're not looking for exactly. Marvin Gay. They're not looking for Donny Hathaway. They're not looking for that. What's up, Danny? Oh, I'm sorry. Before dancing, I want to say Danny just got to unmute. I want to say one thing. One thing that I can I can say, and I definitely agree with you, Savvy, is that there was an era where. We could appreciate Janet Jackson as an entertainer, as a performer, and put her in that category. And we can put Whitney Houston's category as a vocalist. Just like, even though she, um, Noel brought up, you know, Aretha Franklin and Dionne Warwick, they were great vocalists, and the great performer was Diana Ross. You're not going to put exactly. Diana Ross as a vocalist. Exactly. A vocalist. So, so we can put them in separate categories. The problem is now that you have people who make him Beyonce the best thing since sliced bread, I'm like, she is not. She's a performer. She's a great entertainer. She's not a vocalist. Same thing with um, well, Ariana Grande. Right. But that's what uh, so. uh, Beyonce, I, I will say Beyonce did sing uh, the Italian song. Um, 
I forget the name of it, but she did sing that at the Oscars. Beyonce does have a People voice. People always bring up one or two um, songs she can sing. She was not, she's not consistent like Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston can sing the telephone book. So could Luther Vandross. That's true. Uh, That's not true. Yeah, we, we we don't have like people just like exactly like right. them. Um, but I will say that like I I will say Beyonce can sing. Like she she actually can sing. Like if people stop like focusing on her dancing and you listen to like her her solo songs. If people stop or, or focusing on her dancing, she wouldn't have no act. Come on. Oh, damn. Come on. But I'm just, <laughs> like, just like, like her slow songs, like I watched her sing the Italian song at the Oscars and she killed it. But so what she I, is known for is shaking that rump. And she ain't even have the, the pipes that um, Tina Turner had. Tina Turner was at least doing her yeah, thing. Beyonce you know is what? just all free. But you know what? That's her parents' fault. They were her managers. And that's what they promoted. Who, who makes better, who so, has better songs, Beyonce or Rihanna? Better songs Beyonce, or better Because Rihanna cannot sing. I don't know what she does. Actually. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying singing ability. Wait I'm talking minute. about discography, you, you, songs for songs. All of Beyonce songs and all of Rihanna. To me, I believe Rihanna has better has a better discography of overall Rihanna everything. Rihanna has better... Rihanna has better songs because her songs appeal to an international audience. And Beyonce's songs don't necessarily do that. And, and it's but you know, there too. was jealousy. Yeah, but you know, there was jealousy there at one point. At one point, because mm -hmm. Jay Z, remember Jay Z was working with Rihanna. At one point, there was jealousy between oh, yeah. like um, um, Beyonce and Rihanna because Jay Z was working with her. And at that point, like Rihanna's songs were like Umbrella and We Found Love and A Hopeless Place. Like Rihanna's songs appeal to an international audience. Beyonce's songs, some of them do, but some of them don't. Everything that you just said about that, you could also apply to hip hop artists. The lyrics were a lot better way back in the 80s. You can say in the 90s too, but not as many in the 90s as they were in the 80s. Now it's just like, I'm sorry, I'm I, sorry I know you guys like Drake and Lil Wayne. I can't stand them. I don't think they got lyrics. I don't. I don't think they, got, they got, look, they have no lyrics. There's nothing of, that make you. A lot of hate it. for the, for the newer. I just look, want to look, make look. sure I bring in Danny. I want to bring in Danny oh, before sorry. I go because I do sorry, have to Danny. cut out. Um, Danny, just go ahead and unmute. What's up, Red Light Special? Hey. Um, two things. Uh, I came back up here because I wanted to tell you that Ashanti was buying her master's back from... She wants to buy her master's back from Irv Gotti. So I think that has a lot to do with why she's been so she's been out of the spotlight, but she's coming back. She's tr I think she's going to be trying to come back um, bigger, and she's definitely uh, performing with like Nelly as of recently. Um, and I wanted to suggest a song by Aaliyah that I think is slept on. 
and uh, both for what she's talking about in the song, where I think she's talking about R. Kelly, and it wasn't until summer 2021 that what? I first heard this album, like the all the Aaliyah albums weren't on iTunes or anything before that. For re- like, I I don't think I listened to the album since the early two thousands, maybe. What's so I had forgot. Um, uh, Never No More. It's called okay. Never No More. It's the album that that she would have been um, when she died. That she that mm. she was promoting. So I think she's talking think, about R. Kelly, and she hits all those yeah. ranges. That's all. Yeah, that's that's all. I think I saw her house, Danny. Oh, uh, Ashanti's or, or Leah's. Ashanti's. I, I had a customer. I, I dropped a customer off in Glen Cove at one time. Hmm. You saw my projects too then because she lives, she would have lived up and around the corner from me. And you, the only way to get into that, it's like a cul-de-sac kind of, but doesn't look like your regular cul-de-sac. Uh, yeah. Is it up a hill? Yeah, exactly. It's multiple hills okay. actually. It's like you're going up yeah. a couple of different ways. I, Cause I dropped the customer off a while ago and I was like, Hey, I know Ashanti grew up in Glen Cove. And my customers yeah. was just like, oh, yeah, just keep driving down there. It's in that, like, little cul-de-sac. But I was dropping them off to the right, which is where the, the, the projects were, apartments, that, so whatever. When you move into the projects, that's at least in 2011 and probably for however long before and after they use that. <laughs> when they're showing you a tour, when they're giving you the tour. Did you know Ashanti lived here? Um, but she didn't live in the project. She lived near the projects is all. Yeah, I, I did know that. Um, I, okay. I did drop off a customer who lived down the block from Billy Joe Low. And that's on Shelter Island. And the guy told me, yeah, if you keep driving down there, his it that gate down there that says something, 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 that's that's his home. And you didn't even see it because it was surrounded by trees and the driveway descended. You know, like, because it's Shelter Island, when you go on it, it's just like one cop car, whatever the case is. It is just like a whole bunch of mansions and stuff. And he has like a helipad. I put that link in the in the thing, by the way, regarding the CIA and infiltrating hip hop and the private prison industrial, um, private, the private prison industrial complex. So I put that in the link in case anybody want to um, check it out. It'll it's, it'll show you some good some good stuff there. Uh, hey, where's that at? Oh, am I still here? Hey, great. Oh. Go ahead and end, but I'm gonna sign out with this song since uh, <laughs> we had disagreements about music. <laughs> here we go.
Okay, I am heading out. Good morning. Ashanti is still a bad that's all I got. Don't worry, Sabi. I got your back on the music. We, we love music in the 90s and 2000 and beyond. I don't hate everybody in the 90s. 90s the music. Okay. Good morning. <laughs> Peace, y'all. Have All a right, good bye. morning. Have a good morning. All right, guys. Bye. See you bye. tomorrow night. Bye. 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 bye.